Welcome back to another episode of the Hooper's Almanac. My co-host Mitchell Sell and I have a lot in store for you all today. The Suns and the Warriors played two games this past week. We're going to break down both in what might be a Western Conference Finals preview. We also welcome on our old friend from Mizzou, Andrew Carlson. He's a big, big time uh, Timberwolves fan. He actually writes for their SB Nation affiliate um, and lives up in Minnesota. So we're going to talk about Minnesota with him as well as break down our top 10 small forwards. We know you all have been loving that content, going position by position, so we're going to continue that today. Um, Looking forward to getting this going, and let's bring in our friends, as always, from Green Top. Welcome back to another episode of the Hooper's Almanac. We are recording here on December 4th. It is a Saturday, changing up our usual pace, Mitch. Um, Getting it in on Saturday this week uh, just felt like the right time to do it. Um, Had our buddy Andrew Carlson on later, which we'll get to. But, uh, you know, the big news of this week, Mitch, was the Suns and Warriors. Um, They played two major games, what what might be a Western Conference Finals preview, splitting the series 1-1 so far. Um, Suns taking the first one at home, continuing that win streak, only to be broken by the Warriors on Friday at 18 games, uh, a franchise long win streak. What have you seen from those two games and how do you think, you know, what have you learned so far from the Suns and Warriors? So the games were incredible. Oh, there was so much fun to watch. It doesn't help that Devin Booker is out for that second one um, when it comes to, you know, just trying to figure out who, who will be in final standing of like the true uh winning side of it all but it didn't help that Steph Curry also had one of his worst shooting performances in the first game um Jordan Poole had to carry them honestly that entire the first three quarters and then the fourth quarter they just kind of lost it and it was just it was no longer in the Warriors they never really had control of the game it felt like the Suns had control that entire first game while the Warriors had the entire control the second game it felt like um there was some there was some back and forth but honestly I never was worried that the the Warriors were going to lose that second game um you know, we talk about it later on, but, you know, Mikael Bridges had just one of his best defensive uh, nights against this, the Warriors that first game. And, you know, I felt like his impact on how uh, Steph Curry shot uh, was just incredible, as well as just the rotating cast that the Suns can throw at Steph Curry is incredible. Um, you know, it'll be interesting because they play on Christmas, which will be a great uh, third uh, mm-hmm. tiebreaker between the two of them. They play another game later on this year. Uh, they play four games against each other this year. So I feel like it'll be good uh, matchup for – and I do agree, this is still my my Western Conference uh, matchup. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, but what did you think of these two games? Yeah, I mean, we talk about the Western Conference matchup. You have right now, as it stands, the Warriors as your NBA Finals prediction coming out of the West – the Suns are mine. So I think we both have that as our, our matchup there in the, in the final for the Western conference. And I think I still, you know, that hasn't changed my mind. These are by far the two best teams in the West. I think what really stood out to me is how dominant Deandre Ayton was. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the Warriors might be content with him being dominant against them um, just based on their potential to trade twos for threes. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when Clay comes back, like if they're just raining in threes, like Steph's not going to have two two off nights in a row. Right. So even if he has two in a in a series, all you need is four out of seven or four out of six for him to be on. And combination with Clay takes some pressure off of him. Um, you know the Suns are really good, but they're not as good of a three point shooting team. Uh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul are both mid range gods. 
DeAndre Ayton's operating in the paint, you know, you're really relying on guys like Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, Landry Shamit, for God's sake, to hit three pointers. Um, and you know, that's definitely a hit or miss. It's not a guaranteed thing. Right. Um, Cam Johnson, another guy who can really knock down threes for them off the bench. But I think in terms of pure skill of the starting five, the Suns have a far better roster. It's just the, the Warriors have so much to throw at you when it comes to shooting and different guys off the bench. And they're completely content with, um, you know, letting them control the paint and dominate the paint, which available McGee and DeAndre Ayton, which I think is interesting. Well, yeah. And honestly, the, you talk about the difference in like skill level between the starting fives. Yeah. The only two were the, I mean, Draymond Green and Steph Curry are the only two guys when it, you would put like those starting five as like a, actually like when you combine those two teams, Steph Curry mm-hmm. and Draymond would be the only two guys that you would throw into that mix from the Warriors you would throw in. But to be honest with you, Steph Curry is still the best player in this matchup. Yeah. And so, but yeah, DeAndre Aiden ruins the Warriors when uh, whatever chances because Kevon Looney can't stick with him. Uh, you know, you had said this off air, but yeah, I totally agree. The fact that, you know, Kevon Looney's only job is like for the first like six minutes of a game is to just try to say, Hey, I'm going to try to stop you. It's not going to work, but I'll try yeah. to stop you. DeAndre Aiden. Um, you know, it'll, this game, this game will matter when the Warriors are healthy. You see Clay come back, James Wiseman come back. Um, that's really just going to be the real decider, um, especially when those guys are good to go. Uh, if James Wiseman can be just as any more of a thwart to uh, DeAndre, that'd be great. Um, just for my side of things, when it comes to my pick, um, yeah. but you were right earlier. There is no other Western conference team that I could even find comparable to these two. The jazz are so fake. I will never, they, they hit the, one of the most, they had 27 threes last night against the Celtics. Um, just they hit them that many threes and they only won by seven because their defense is just fake. They have great shooters, but the, they don't have defense like these two other teams do. The Suns and the Warriors yeah. are two of the best, the top 10 defensive teams in the nation, in the nation, in the league. And it's because they have guys who are committed to that side of the ball. The Jazz don't have that. The Mavericks don't have that. None of the other top top quote-unquote top teams in the west have that it's just it is honestly those two and it's a runaway uh for those two when it comes to the western conference yeah i mean and yeah the the lakers don't have good defense i mean they're not playing well overall right now either but the nuggets are actually really good defensive team this year but they're just rattled with injuries um so they're not probably not going to be in the running unless jamal murray has a miraculous comeback and really changes this team this year which is a possibility but Mm-hmm. I still don't think I see them beating either one of these teams. And again, take this with a grain of salt because Devin Booker didn't play three of the four halves in these two games. He played the first half was taken out um, due to a hamstring pull, um, which I think he should not very serious should be back here in a few games, right. um, but didn't play at all. And I have a few gripes with the Suns right now. And I think they still could beat this Warriors team in a series. I think it's a lot more up in the air than I thought it was prior to these two games, but mm-hmm. Chris Paul in these types of games needs to be more aggressive offensively. Um, Only having 12 points in a game that Devin Booker is not playing a single minute is a problem. Mm -hmm. He can score 20 a night if he wants to in the mid-range game. He's so good, so crafty, gets his own shot, regardless of who's got guarding him. And he's been deferring a lot to other guys, which I I generally like. But in these big-time games, you need to be able to score. And we saw that in the playoffs last year. In the Western Conference Finals closeout game against the Clippers, he did that all series against um, the Nuggets when he was healthy again after that Lakers series, did that, um, you know, struggled in the finals. But I think he needs they, 
they need more of that, especially if Devin Booker's off or not playing, period. Um, another thing is Cameron Payne cannot be guarding Stephen Curry again this entire season. Nope. Uh, Cameron Payne and Landry Shamit, I think, were responsible for like 90% of the shots Steph Curry made as the defender last last night or the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason, Mikhail Bridges wasn't on him as much. Jay Crowder tried to guard him, but kind of got blown by. Um, I think Mikhail Bridges needs to be guarding him probably 90% of the time, 95, and he might just need to match every minute Steph Curry's on the floor. Uh, but they can't have Landry Shamit and Cameron Payne guarding him because it's just a highlight reel if those two guys are on him. So the issue, I, I totally agree. But Mikhail Bridges being such a young guy, I feel like he still is working on his fatigue. I think he's still working on your endurance and trying to stay in games. And he is such a – whenever – Devin Booker's not playing. He's a very important part of that offense. And so you can't, you have to, he has to try to conserve himself to try to figure out, okay, he's still learning. Okay. When do I need to get going on offense? When, how can I provide on offense? Cause you still have to score buckets to win games. And so Mikel Bridges is trying with Devin Booker being out, is trying to figure out, Hey, when do I need to, when do I need to exert myself more on offense? When do I need to pull myself back on defense? I think last night, Monty Williams was really trying to figure out, okay, how much can I, can I let go of Bridges? And it, it showed pain and Shamit were not the answer to that question. Um, Chris Paul is not as quick as he used to be when it comes to staying, what could not stay with Steph now, um, just because Steph is constantly running through picks um, and constantly running around the court. And that's what is the issue when it comes to Bridges, being a young guy, still trying to figure out that whole like energy uh, flow when it comes to offense and defense. I feel like that might be the thing is because, he is constantly having to follow Curry around, and that is one of the biggest, toughest tasks uh, an NBA an NBA defender has to do. And that's why that's why it helps when you have a rotating cast of players to go up against him. But yeah. man, it's it's tough whenever it's Landry Shamit, Cameron Payne are included in such a cast. Well, I agree that it takes more out of you to guard Stephen Curry than maybe anybody in the league. But I think Mikhail Bridges is up to the task when it comes right. to his conditioning and ability. Like he's leading the Suns in minutes at thirty four point six per game, so clearly. He's trusted with a large line share of the minutes there. But, you know, when you look at his past couple of games before this last Suns loss to the Warriors, he was played 41 minutes in three straight games. Right. And then only played 30 in the Warriors loss. And maybe that was because they were going to lose. And all right, let's not play him toward the end of the game and maybe give him some breaks here and there that he usually doesn't receive, which definitely played a role. But, and you know, that might not be the case in a playoff series or meaningful games, but if, my question is if Monty Williams seriously thinks that Cameron Payne and Landry Shamit are the secondary options for this, it's he's got an issue because I I think maybe Jay Crowder could do it, although he's not the fleetest of feet on the perimeter. Maybe Devin Booker if he really sinks himself in. Um, but man, I mean, Mikhail's they they just need him if if they ever match up with them in the series. I mean, he's the most important player on the Suns, maybe, um, if if they ever match up in, in the playoffs. Well, and that was the thing that I think they brought Alfred Payton in to just kind of be that defensive guy. But, man, he is such a liability on offense. Oh, my God. It's horrendous to watch him try to move on offense with the ball or even try to take a jump shot. Oh, my Lord. We can't forget the floppy hair down in Orlando whenever he had that either. But, honestly, yeah, I think – I agree, but if you try to throw Peyton out there, it's just an offensive liability, and he doesn't know how to work with that off offense like Cameron Payne or Shamit do. That off that offense is surrounded by scores. So uh, I think I don't know if there's a move to be made to like yeah. try to fix that, but we will we'll see how it goes because honestly, once Booker comes back, 
maybe he's just another guy you can throw at him, um, but we'll see. Well, the, 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 there may not be a move to be made, but there's a move that they could undo perhaps or maybe regret or take back, and that's getting rid of Tory Craig. I mentioned mm-hmm. this in the offseason, and they're going to miss him a lot more than they thought they would, and I think now he's injured for the Pacers, um, which for some reason Rick Carlisle decided to start Tory Craig over DeMontis Sabonis the other night and instantly gets hurt. So right. thanks, Rick Carlisle. But um, they miss him a lot because he'd be the perfect – second guy to throw at Curry. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that that's exactly what they need is some sort of secondary defender who they're not really relying on anything else for. Um, you know, I think they made a good move in the offseason to get JaVale McGee um, as a backup center and get some, you know, not relying on Dario Saric and Frank Kaminsky. But, uh, you know, I think they still need a secondary defender off the bench. So maybe they make a small move, get rid of one of these other bench guys that they're not using and you know, I, I think it's something they're going to need unless Mikhail Bridges plays otherworldly for seven games. Right. Absolutely. Well, we're going to be right back. We're going to take a quick little break. We're going to talk with our buddy Andrew Carlson about the an up and rising team in the Western Conference. Not one of the top tier teams, but a rising one in the Minnesota Timberwolves. We'll be right back after this break. <laughs> We are back with uh, our Timberwolves expert, Andrew Carlson. He is uh, Aaron and I's former boss for the uh, MUTV, the student news station back at Mizzou. But now Andrew Carlson writes for the uh, SB Nation affiliate for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Andrew Carlson, welcome on, my man. What's going on, guys? I don't really know if I was your boss, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, 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 can, we can go with that title. I, I'm a big fan of the show. You guys are doing a really good job. I, I'm thinking about starting to tail some of your best bets that you're putting out on Twitter. I have trust issues when it comes to betting, so uh, we'll have to give it a little bit more time, but love what you guys are doing. Well, it's all, it's also good that you haven't been tailing us recently because the last few <laughs> days have been, been definitely tough. But I'll also, Mitch, you know, something that we should mention is Obviously, we love to host our podcast here with the Hooper's Almanac, but Andrew also recently started his own, right, uh, with the District of Buckets. So um, really, really sort of looking forward to tuning into that soon. Do you want to talk about that and sort of share that with the people as well before we get going? Yeah, sure. One of my uh, one of my buddies, Carl Baltimore, runs the District of Buckets site because he's a huge uh, Washington Wizards fan. Um, and so we've teamed up. And we just talk hoops once a week, every Sunday, uh, it goes out early in the week for about 30 minutes. Um, it's called game blouses. If you've ever seen, if you've ever seen Chappelle's show, yeah, it's one of the greatest skits of all time. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, go check it out if you want. I also blog a little bit for Candace Hoopus, the Timberwolves SB Nation affiliate. So again, uh, Timberwolves seem to have a little bit more of a following than they have in previous years. So if you're interested in reading any of that stuff, go for it. But if not, I also completely understand because it's still <laughs> Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> well, well, speaking of the Timberwolves, Andrew, um, you know, it's it's been one of the teams that I feel like a lot of folks have had their eyes on this year and last last couple of years as a team that could maybe make that jump, just considering how young and talented that roster is. Right now, they're sitting at ninth in the West, 11 and 12. They had rattled off seven of eight before losing their last two um, competitive loss last night to the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Um, but definitely showing some signs with Anthony Edwards, the former number one overall pick in his second year, you know, showing strides of greatness, hopefully alongside Cat. What have you really seen from them this year? And what's your assessment of their start so far? It's about time, right? I mean, you make the move for D'Angelo Russell two years ago, and there's a lot of excitement around the team. And then 
he plays one game with Carl Anthony Towns against the Raptors, who at that point were one of the best teams in the East. They take him down to the wire, and then Carl Anthony Towns gets hurt for the rest of the year, and everyone's kind of wondering what's going to go on. Um, and then you go into the year after, where there's a little bit of expectation, and Anthony Edwards is a rookie. Um, and then there's just a rotating wheel of injuries. Carl Anthony mm-hmm. Towns gets COVID. He dislocates his wrist. D'Angelo Russell's out with a knee problem for a while. And it's just kind of a, a glorified shit show. And Aaron, I mean, you kind of know what I'm talking about right now um, with the Nuggets. It's just, <laughs> it, it seemed as though last year one person was out yeah. or at least two people were out at any given time. And so it was just very frustrating to look at the team see a lot of talent and just say what's going to go on um and then they go everybody comes back anthony edwards starts playing really really well they finish over 500 with cat and d'lo in the second half of the season and people have high expectations for this year um and i think that's kind of where we're at now um you, you continue to have high expectations for the team because there is a lot of talent there's no excuse why this team shouldn't be at least in the play-in I mean you look around the west right now there's a discrepancy between teams that are in the play-in right now and ones that are not and so if you fall out of the play-in picture there's something incredibly wrong and there's a lot of teams who are at 500 right now the Lakers don't look very good so you can definitely work your way out of the play-in and into the top six so um, it's a really interesting time right now um for the Timberwolves, you just got to hope the injury bug doesn't bite. I mean, I don't know if you saw the the game on Wednesday night where Carl Anthony Towns went up for the dunk, hung on the rim mm-hmm. a little bit too long, landed right on his tailbone. A yeah. uh, little bit of little bit of a shock right there. Um, and I was like, oh no, okay, he's going to be out for another four or five months. Here we go again. Um, and that wasn't the case. So no, it's it's been really interesting so far. And then again, you like the way they're battling right now. Um, top 10 in both offense and defense over that eight game stretch that you had talked about Aaron. Um, and so, so things are, things are starting to look up a little bit and especially in Brooklyn last night, you take the number one team in the East down to the last 30 seconds with no Carl Anthony towns, no Patrick Beverly, no Jaden McDaniels. So um, encouraging stuff, but you'd like to, you'd like to see a little bit more. Well, I was, I was going to say, I was very down on the Timberwolves going into this year, just because I was like, man, this team has just had such bad injury luck. Like we've talked, like you talked about. And so, you know, I just had, you know, you have the rotating cast of D'Angelo Russell with, you know, how inconsistent he can be sometimes plus injury issues with him. You know, I was like, man, this team just has issues. I've been wrong. I was very proven wrong. I did not trust your guys' fours. I did not like Vanderbilt or McDaniels. And boy, have they proved me wrong, just both on both sides of the ball. Vanderbilt's proven himself to be one of the best defenders in the NBA this year. And yeah. so I have been very happy and just very shocked with how good this team has been. Um, what, you know, what has been some like pieces that you've been most shocked by by this team, when it comes to this team? What have been some pieces? Um. It's actually really interesting you bring that up because going into the year, the the question was, are they going to hit their over under Vegas win total of 33 and a half? Like that was like a hotly debated, undisputed topic on Wolves Twitter, like 33 and a half. Are they going to do it? And it looks like they should be able to. I I think that, you know, anytime you are going to the playoffs when you were previously like a 17 win team, there's going to be a couple. I think it's Jared Vanderbilt that's really elevated his play. I mean, when you when you watch him, he's he's not complete on the offensive end yet by any stretch of the imagination, but um, he's a legitimate rebounder. He was all over Kevin Durant last night. Well, Kevin Durant had a quiet 30. Um, the Wolves just continued to throw bodies at him. And, like, 
it just it kind of worked because they were forcing him into tough shots. Like I thought Kevin Durant was going for 35, 40 points and burying the Timberwolves. It's gonna be a 20 point game. But Jared Vanderbilt played a big role in that. He's guarding the best player on the other team every single night. Um, and and he just kind of continues to be a perfect fit next to Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, I I personally will get into trade ideas in a little bit. Still think the team needs a little bit more size, but Jared Vanderbilt's certainly putting off that need for now because mm-hmm. he's grabbing like 10, 13, 14 rebounds every single night. And it's like, what, what's going on? Like this guy was a second round pick and was just kind of a throw in, in the Malik Beasley deal. Um, and, and now he's actually starting to show a little bit of form. So, um, Jared Vanderbilt's definitely one, I think Leandro Balmaro too, last year's first round pick, he's starting to get a little bit more clock, really good on ball defender. He's got a lot to work on, on the offensive end, but I think if you can have somebody who can, who can be a legitimate perimeter defender uh, coming off the bench. Um, that's always really solid. And then Patrick Beverly, like people don't like Patrick Beverly. I've always been kind of a Patrick Beverly guy I, and I get it. I get it. I definitely do. I've always been kind of a Patrick Beverly guy, but here's a guy who the Wolves got for Wancho Hernan Gomez, who was eventually bought out and Jarrett Culver. And people were just kind of like, okay, like it, it may not, may not necessarily work out, but he's been an absolute tone setter and um, irreplaceable on the defensive end. So a couple guys on that uh, because it's the Wolves defense, right? Right. It's the defense in the past years that it hasn't been on. It's been horrible. Um, mm-hmm. And this year, all of a sudden it looks amazing. So it, you got to attribute it to those two guys. Well, that's a great point you bring up Andrew. And I mean, the defense is the biggest question mark I had going into the season. And I didn't have a ton of belief in their defense going in. Cause I didn't know the role that, these guys at Jared, Jared Vanderbilt and other people would play. Nas Reed's really stepped up to sort of backing up Cat. But, I mean, when you look at the stats, they're up to eighth in defensive efficiency this year. They were 27th last year. I mean, that is a drastic change. And, you know, a lot of that is the personnel. But some of that, I feel like, comes from the top and Chris Finch. What have you seen from him so far taking over in his first year, sort of getting out of the revolving door of the Saunders family, finally. Minnesota. Um, <laughs> and, and, and Thibodeau. War- right. It right. felt I like was... it was like, uh, yeah, it felt like it was like warlord Tom Thibodeau <laughs> in, in, in the Minnesota Timberwolves front office. But yeah, no, I, I, I get you. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what have you seen so far from Chris Finch? Like, do you, do you think he's, I feel like he's given some sort of sense of stability, at least to this organization that, I felt like was needing it for a couple of years there. What do you, what have you thought so far of his impact on this team? Well, he knows how to coach. I mean, I I think Ryan Saunders, unfortunately, was just a little bit too early. I think Ryan Saunders is going to land on his feet in a top assistant job and be just fine, but he was just a little bit too early to, to be a head coach. And he was, I think, mainly controlled by the president of basketball operations, um, Gerson Rosas at the time. So you get a, you get a coach in finally, who's shown that he can increase offensive efficiency at every single stop he's been, um, Aaron, you know, well, I mean, that's when Jokic broke out, uh, when Chris Finch was the offensive coordinator in Denver. So it's, he, he knows what he's doing and yeah, you're right. He's, he's given a lot of stability and on the wolves defense, they were always playing drop in the past. Like it was always Carl right. Anthony towns being the anchor of the defense. And, and that's why he got a bad rap defensively because, um, he just couldn't really guard a pick and roll in a drop scheme. And, and also I just don't really think it worked with the personnel that they had. Um, but now with Chris Finch, you see, you know, a player like Carl Anthony towns getting out and guarding the perimeter more, which is kind of cool to see. Um, he, he's shown that he can do it. Um, and he's not really being used as the rim protector that everybody wanted him to be. Uh, and so the, it, being having more of a scramble oriented defense that they have this year 
Um, it just kind of shows that Chris Finch knows his personnel. He's, he's a better evaluator of what he has, um, and he's able to work with it. So yeah, no, I, you're right. Chris Finch has provided a lot of, of, of really solid, um, stability so far. And it's fun watching an offense, like a really good offensive team that pushes pace and is like fast and runs. Um, so really impressed with Chris Finch so far. I was going to say, yeah, compared to like the Tom Thibodeau teams, it was like more of a slow it down kind of thing, especially when you had Jimmy Butler and Wiggins still. Those teams were not so much a get out and run it, even though Wiggins has shown now that he now he's on the Warriors that he can get out and run it. But what? Is, yeah, what's with that guy? <laughs> yeah, who? What happened to him? Whenever he, what, why wasn't he doing that in Minnesota? <laughs> Pulling the Penny Hardaway last night, top like top fifteen in defensive efficiency in the league. I, who knows, man? It's, it's, Who knows? It's, it's, it's Steph Curry and Draymond Green. It makes it a little bit easier to play alongside those guys. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say it might help, it might help that he's on the like the Golden State Warriors, but right. uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, what I was going to get at is now your your new star, the face of your team, Anthony Edwards, which you have been ecstatic about this man, Andrew. Yeah. And so, tell us what have been your thoughts about Andrew Anthony Edwards, even in his first two years, but more specifically in this year. Uh, I mean, he's just breathed life into the franchise that hasn't really been there since Kevin Garnett. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's just a personality. Like, in addition to being a really good basketball player um, off the court, he's, like, really funny. And he's just really marketable, which, the, right. which again, Minnesota just doesn't really see that super often. Um, so he's completely taken a franchise that was dead in the water and and kind of revitalized it a little bit. Carl Anthony Towns, make no mistake, is still the best player on the team. Um, it's hard to see those efficiency numbers as a big man. Um, I like to see him shoot more personally, but um, <laughs> but no, I mean he he he's meant everything to to the team. Um, and you know a lot a couple of years ago when the Wolves initially, or not a couple of years ago, it'd be a year and a half ago now when the Wolves got the first round pick, I was one of the people in the audience who was like, okay, this is a little bit of a weaker draft at the top. And I was kind of going back and forth between um, Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball. And um, I, I think it worked out for LaMelo. I think it worked out for Anthony Edwards, but he's, he's, he's just been, um, he's been everything that this franchise has needed everything this franchise has needed. Um, and it's been, it's been cool to see the fans have welcomed him. And, and I don't want to say the franchise was stale with Carl Anthony Towns, but it was getting there. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he just, at this point, it's hard to say that he is a number one. I think he's a really good number two. Um, and, and when you come to that realization and you see um, someone who has the potential Anthony Edwards has making the strides that he is, can't help but get excited. I feel like a lot of that is all about mentality. Like when you watch Anthony Edwards play, it's, it's so clear that he thinks he's the best player on the team and on the Mm -hmm. floor too, which is just like, you know, not many players have that mentality. It reminds me a lot of John Morant, the way he even just drives to the rim with complete reckless abandon. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Carl Anthony Towns is certainly a more professional skilled basketball player at this point and impacts the team in a variety of different ways that Anthony Edwards can't, but you you know, in terms of the long-term longevity of this franchise, you'd think at some point Edwards is certainly the number one guy and Cat yeah. is a perfect number two, just based on the way they carry themselves, even as you said. Yeah, I think so. And and I think they complement each other perfectly because Anthony Edwards is one of the players who needs to take 22, 23 shots in order to get hot. He's not right. an efficient player. I mean, let's <laughs> just address the elephant. <laughs> I was going to say. There are nights where he's on, there are nights when he's off, but he needs to shoot it a few times before he gets hot. Carl Anthony Towns just walks into the gym being able to shoot the cover off the ball. I mean, he... <laughs> 
he's an, he's an unbelievable shooter. So um, to be able to have someone who doesn't need as many shots, but can still pour in 25 pretty quietly. Um, and then to have, Anthony, to be able to make room for 23, not as efficient shots from Anthony Edwards. Um, that's a nice compliment they have. Uh, we just got to get, we just got to get a little bit more consistency out of him because uh, I get it. He's 20 years old, but on a night to night basis, it, it lacks a little bit. Yeah, like you said before when we were off air, you you were talking about how you're the five you're five years older than Anthony Edwards, and you're still you're yelling at him because you want to be more efficient. Yet then you have to remind yourself, wait, I'm five years older than this guy. I can't be doing that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I've caught myself. I've caught myself screaming at the TV a couple times because of him. I mean, like last year, I, I remember last year, even though he was not playing very well when he dunked on Yudawa Nabi, I was like, okay, this is just like I was I was like standing up and I was like, oh my gosh. And then this year. Um, when Jimmy Butler comes to town, you get 35 and 16 or 35 and 14 right on his head. And you, you pretty much punk him. I, 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 it was, it was like, that was, that was like, I, I was, I was in before that game, but after that game, I was like, okay, like this, like we have something here. Take the third stringers on now. (laughs) Right. Right. No, I, I, I can't. I don't know. I can't get on that rant right now. I can't do it. I can't the, do it. The Jimmy I can't Butler get rant? Up. Yeah, from what I've heard, we have a lot of podcasts left. We can't talk about that now. I'll get on my high horse. I, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> well, listen, you know, you, the Timberwolves are in a very tough division. I mean, one of the tougher divisions in the NBA. Uh, you got the Trailblazers. You got the Jazz. You got the Nuggets. I mean, where do you think they kind of stand? I mean, coming out of this year, I mean, amongst those guys, but also just like coming into the future, like you look at the future pieces for all these teams. What are some like, where do you think they stand? It's a good question. I think that's kind of like the code that a lot of Timberwolves fans, I think even the front office is trying to crack right now because you have uh, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell who are 26 years old. And then Anthony Edwards, who, who seems to be on the verge of being your best player at, at the age of 20. So I, you look at it and you essentially kind of have two timelines. Um, and if they mesh, that's the ideal scenario. Um, you sign Carl Anthony Towns to another max extension this offseason and you just keep the train rolling and then you trade him if things ha- if things do hit the fan. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. It, it's that's an interesting conundrum that, that a lot of people are trying to figure out because you know, Jade McDaniels has been a little bit disappointing this year. People thought that going into the year, he'd be a little bit better than he's shown so far. Um, so it, uh, unless he really unless he really shows up a little bit more um, th- that makes the picture a little bit more muddy because ideally in the timeline picture, he's right there alongside Anthony Edwards to build around. He doesn't necessarily look like that guy yet. So um, we'll see. I, I it, That's a great question, Mitchell. I, I can't answer it. <laughs> I wish I, I really, I, I really, really, really do wish I could. Um, but I, I think you just, you have to sign, you have to sign Carl Anthony Towns to his extension this off season. DeAndre Russell is going to be really, really tricky. I think you kind of do, I mean, not the same caliber of player, but you kind right. of do have a Giannis situation where the inverse happens, where the organization says, okay, we need to see a little bit more out of you before we re-sign you next offseason. Um, so I wouldn't be comfortable re-signing unless, unless yeah. it was like a low 20s, right. high teens type of contract for him. Um, so so it's, it's interesting with the extensions coming up, that's for sure. 
you're talking about timelines and I just finished Loki, a, a Marvel show on, on Disney plus, And I'm just, I'm just all in my head now. I just finished it two <laughs> days ago and you're talking about all these branched alternative timelines. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's got me so in my head now. <laughs> well, that that's, that's how, that's how it is in the NBA. You, you yeah. when you don't have anything to do, you speculate about everything. <laughs> right. Even when there's not, even when there's probably nothing there. Right. Trust me, we're, we ha- we're fans of three teams who all have many different alternative timelines going on in our heads. You got the Nuggets who can't seem to stay healthy. Oh you got the Lord. Celtics who can't seem to win a basketball game. And then you got the Timberwolves who are uh, growing but need to be f- uh, figuring out how to just, like you know, work the right guys into the mix and also try to figure out you have the right pieces. So. Well, I was talking about it last week on our pod. Is like the Nuggets training staff right now. I feel like it's like the Popeye's worker last year and the chicken sandwich came out, like that picture on Twitter. You have Jamal Murray, who you're trying to rehab to get next to Nicole Jokic so that you can win some games and make up some ground. You have Jokic, who was it a wrist, Aaron? Is that what it was? Yeah, wrist. But it, it, yeah. honestly, it wasn't even very serious. I think he was just getting rest. He was out for a few games. So, I mean, there, there was that. And then obviously on top of all of that, you have the medical miracle. That's Michael Porter Jr.'s back. So it's, uh, it's like you kind of have to do a small miracle of science and medicine uh, in order to get everybody back healthy. So I feel for you. Trust me, I was there last year. I was there last year. And, well, and, and it's, it's tough, but you at least you have Jokic back. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, in, in reality, we have an MVP caliber player who should be an right. MVP caliber player for the years to come. And in my opinion, that's a top five player in the NBA. No, no debate. But I mean, when it comes to this front office, like they've done everything right, basically. Yeah. And then you still get screwed, screwed with this situation. Like, right. It's just really disappointing. But I mean, you know, we talked about this division. I think the Nuggets are on their way up if healthy. I think the yeah. Timberwolves are on their way up. I think the Trailblazers and Jazz are actually on a downspin right now. Mm-hmm. I think this Jazz team, if they can't succeed in the playoffs this year again, there's going to be some sort of general manager move happening in terms of trading an asset or not re-signing a guy. And I think the Blazers are obviously in a precarious situation with Damian Lillard and trying to keep him happy. And a new head coach, who's they're probably going to blow things up and try to see if he's he can sort of rebuild the situation and succeed um if if dame decides to walk so i think it's just you know i think the timberwolves have an opportunity here in the next couple years if the blazers and jazz do sort of tail downward and you even look this year too i mean are we really sold on the mavericks uh i i don't know about that um just not a huge jason kidd fan are are we sold on the memphis grizzlies um when healthy when healthy they're fine i I don't know I, i they're they're pretty up and down they're gritty they play hard but in terms of their their results there seems to be a little bit of a variance no, <laughs> especially, you're right. on, especially a couple nights ago <laughs> <laughs> well and then well yeah you're also bringing up two teams who are probably in the worst division in the nba too so like they're, those right. are that's a i mean that division with the rockets the spurs the mavs and then the grizzlies and the pelicans i mean that's just a yeah ter- i mean what a terrible uh shit show that is <laughs> well, i i hate the division setup in the nba oh, me too. like so much with a passion i have no idea why everybody else in the timberwolves divisions in a different time zone by like a long <laughs> shot it's the <laughs> dumbest thing of all time um but no i mean that's the thing is the the east actually looks just incredible this year and there's just so much variance in the west i just think that there's there's not 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 variance but there's parity um like everyone's like 500 right now, except for like three teams. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's the same thing going on. There's, there's three top teams and then everything below it is just like, what the heck's going on. <laughs> right. And you, and uh, I think a lot of it hinges on LeBron's health too. Right. Like, is he going to, is he going to keep sitting games out? Is he going to stay playing? Like, is he going to just be day to day for the rest of the year? You, I, I don't yeah. 
you know, there, there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be said. And like I said, the Mavericks are a team, I think I, I was really high on them at the beginning of the year. Um, but just as I see them move forward and then you have Jason Kidd saying last night that Lucas should stop uh, calling out for, for fouls. I, I, I don't know. I think it's, that one's kind of headed for a little bit of a disaster, especially I mean, again, are we sold on Chris stops too? I don't know. There'll be a lot of movement, I, I think. And there's, there's definitely some ground to make up for the Timberwolves. Um, I, I, the one, the one team, the one team I will say that I'm definitely afraid of is just the Clippers the game. over, yeah. Even though they're a game over 500, they match mm-hmm. up so poorly with the Wolves and they match up poorly with everybody in the NBA. They're a tough team. Well, yeah. yeah and then last night they had Serge Ibaka, Zubac, uh, Morris, Paul George, and Reggie Jackson all on the floor at the same time against the Lakers. I was so yeah. confused what was happening and yet it worked perfectly. It made no sense to me. <laughs> no. And, and that's the thing is they're always like, they're just always going to play hard. That's, that's just, how it's going to be if Kawhi comes back this year or not I mean do you, you guys think Kawhi's going to come back eventually I, I think he I, probably I if know. they make the playoffs maybe but but even then it's like do you really want to stick a guy in there who hasn't played a single minute and then instantly it's playoff basketball like I think that's a tough even for Kawhi like that's tough a tough to situation climb. like it's it, you're going from practice drills to the toughest basketball play in the entire year I don't know. I, yeah. I, I don't think so. And they also re-signed into a long contract. So right. they're thinking long-term as long as Paul George sticks around and all that stuff. Well, you might as well ride it out and see what you have right now. Right. Right. They're, they're working some young guys into, I'm really impressed with Terrence Mann. I oh think gosh, he's, a, yeah. I think he's a really legitimate, legitimate player. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't hate that school of thought either. Why don't you just throw your dice and just see what happens? And it also increases Paul George's trade value in a certain scenario that you would look to move on from him at some point, just because he's playing like an MVP this year. And there were questions years after years after years about is it, does this guy still have it after he left Indiana? So I think it helps the Clippers too, in that sense. Death taxes and Paul George playing like an MVP candidate (laughs) during the regular season, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Andrew, you know, you talked about, you know, some moving pieces and some ways that the Timberwolves might need to, you know, look to get better or expand on their length. What are some trades that you kind of like came or have like in mind, maybe to like try to, you know, improve this roster for the Timberwolves? Yeah, I have two ideas and I'm going to need your guys help to workshop the second one. So I'm not quite sure how to evaluate who we trade, who, who the trade subject would be. Okay. Uh, but, but I think one team, right. I think one team right now that could maybe be an ideal trade partner that needs some shooting is the Indiana Pacers. Um, mm. And I don't know how much sense miles Turner makes there right now. Mm. Um, I think that if you took Malik Beasley in some sort of protected first, uh, maybe throw in one more if you want, because uh, now we actually finally have all of our picks. Um, and I think an additional second, uh, why not just call up the Pacers and see what they see what they'd want for miles Turner. I, I would love the fit next to Carl Anthony towns. Um, I think that he's I, my, cons- I guess my concern would be the pace that the Timberwolves play at having, having a twin tower lineup out there. <laughs> how much are you really going to be able to push the pace? But I love what Miles Turner would be able to bring to the team. They need rim protection. They need rebounding. I was going to say, so you like, so would you move on from Nas Reed as well then, or would you try to move him as another piece or would you want to keep him just as the bench man? No, Nas Reed's a six foot nine center. I I just, I, I think that you can have a lot more lineup flexibility when you have three bigs like that. Um, I Absolutely. think that just, 
I mean, ideally, that's just what this team is missing, right? When Carl Anthony Towns goes out, you're starting a center who's six foot nine, and then who's your who's the next big that you sub out when Nas Reed needs a break? I mean, Jared Vanderbilt's playing center. You bring Nathan Knighton, who's been back and forth from Iowa all year. Right. Um, <laughs> just, there, it just doesn't make it just doesn't make a ton of sense, and especially when Carl Anthony Towns is injury prone. I mean, there's just there's player there's there's legitimate face up and rim protecting centers that you can bring, even if it's not a Miles Turner caliber, like. They, that would just make sense on this team. Um, so I, I think that's what they just need to shop for. I like the Miles Turner thing. I like the Miles Turner idea. Of uh, I do agree the Pacers need to move on from their double big, like Sabonis Turner lineup. That just doesn't seem to make any sort of sense uh, to mm-hmm. me. Um, I know the Pacers have frustrated the crap out of Aaron when it comes to betting and just like that, like the the uh, downloads, the, <laughs> the downloads. Good, they, they seem good enough to cover, don't they? Yeah, they're, they're terrible. <laughs> they they make me they make Aaron want to gouge his eyes out. Um, but the but the thing is, wait, wait the, quick, 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 Mitch. I uh, just a quick rant on the Pacers. Sorry, you de- you just dragged me into this. Doing it. <laughs> Rick Carlisle brought Demontis Sabonis off the bench yesterday. That's all. Yeah, Wonderful. trust me that that hurt my fantasy team in every sort of way. <laughs> I it, that was that was brutal. Um, we love that. No, it was terrible. So, but, no, but I the thing with Turner is that the. Pacers have literally tried giving him up for like three straight years and like have no, have no suitors ever. So something right. makes me wonder, like, is there something wrong with miles Turner? Is there like a, uh, you know, a chemistry issue with like teams and or with players. So I don't hate it. I do agree that, you know, you could use the rim protection. That would, all, I like the twin towers idea. You get cat to get out of the paint as, as much as he already is. Um, you give Turner the ability to go down low a little bit more. I think that's great. Um, plus, you can hide Cat on like those spotty forwards who you know don't have like as great of talent offensively. I don't hate that idea. Well, if you're a glass half full Pacers fan, it's not the worst team chemistry you've ever had. Shout out right. to uh, Paul George and Lance Stevenson, right? And and Roy Hibbert. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the thing. It, it, Pacers are currently bottom five in three point percentage right now. Um, it, they just need some shooting, like. I just think that that's something that they could definitely use in their lineup. Malik Beasley brings that and give him an additional pick, I, I think would work. And, and you're and the salaries match up almost perfectly. And, and you're essentially getting a guy in Miles Turner who I just think needs a little bit bigger of a role. And frankly was, was told that he was going to be a franchise center and was just passed up by someone who improved and is better than him. Um, and I, I, I just, I don't know if he likes that as much. And so um, you go to a team where you're going to be probably playing like almost 30 minutes a night um, and and given a role that I think you can excel in, there's not a lot of pressure on the offensive end. You're mainly just buckling down and playing defense and wanting and blocking shots. Um, I think it'd be a match made in heaven. Yeah. Well, so my only thing, my other thing would be Beasley is not having the greatest of years shooting. I mean, shooting under 40%. So that would be, that would be the only thing I would also say, but I do agree. He does provide scoring that the Pacers desperately need uh, because whenever Brogdon, Sabonis are not going. It's it's pretty much dead. They're dead in the water. No, he uh, Malik Beasley has not been having the greatest year, and I think some of it might have to be that he spent 170 days in prison over the summer. That'll do uh, it. Yeah, he. I, I. Yeah, he didn't really have an off-season training program. He was playing prison ball, and so <laughs> I don't know if he was. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing for his game. But no, I agree. He's been off to a slow start. Um, I, I think that going into the offseason, there was a little bit of recency bias about Malik Beasley because he didn't play the last two months of the season. But I think he's a really I think he's a legitimate player. Um, he's a knockdown shooter. Aaron, what were your thoughts on him when he was in Denver? 
I liked him a lot, honestly. I was upset that he didn't get a, get more minutes just because at that time we had so many talented guys. Like that was right. when we still had Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap was actually still alive. Corey and Craig. Like, <laughs> Corey Craig. Like there, there were just so many players that like were very competent. And right. so even though Malik Beasley had all these stats, like he'd come in and he was like five minutes of scoring and he'd shoot 10 times and then he was out. Like he definitely didn't seem to have any like – mental break between if I'm going to shoot or if I'm going to pass, it was always, I'm going to shoot, but we kind of needed that honestly. Um, So, I mean, in terms of ability, like inconsistency is a little bit inconsistent, but I always liked how aggressive he was and he clearly had the talent to be able to shoot uh, efficiently eventually. Yeah. I guess in this scenario, what I'd be hoping for is that the Pacers would see sample sizes. I mean, when Beasley was traded here, right after the, right after, um, I think it was just the second half of the season, he was averaging, I think it was around 16, 17 points a game last year. It's over 20. It's a knockdown shooter from three. He was around 40%. He was, I mean, before he got hurt, he was, he was a top three candidate for most improved player. He was lights out last year. Um, And so you just hope that, that Indiana would see that because I, frankly, you know, I think, Malik Beasley does have a role on this team. You know, I don't know at this point if, if you want to look at who has what role on each team. I think Miles Turner might be in a pretty similar standing with the organization of someone who, hey, here's someone that here's something that we kind of have a good amount of and we need a little bit more of. And it, that's why I think it may be fit. Perfect. Absolutely. So what so you said you had a second idea. You just needed to be workshopped out. What's that second idea? So I like Jonas Valanciunas. Um, I, I wow. uh, watched him live. Um, yeah. Hey, Mr. Seven straight threes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, w- watch him. Li- I just think that like, like just as an example, the wolves were out rebounded by uh, the wizards on Wednesday night by almost 20. I mean, it right. wasn't even really close. <laughs> it was Mon- Montrez Montrez Harold just kind of had his way. Um, right. And so, I, I mean, I, I like what, Valanchunas brings rebounding and I actually do like what he bring to the table offensively um Carl Anthony Towns is not playing down low this year a whole lot he's playing a very perimeter oriented game which I think is good for him he should be doing that because he's a good shooter but at the same time what we're what you're missing is is the down low presence Jared Vanderbilt can do it um but I just you know what, what happens when he does get four fouls in, in the right. first couple of quarters? What happens because he he does play incredibly hard, he gets into foul trouble. Uh-huh. Um, Jonas Valanciunas is a consistent rebounding presence who can pour in 14 to 17 points tonight. I think that could be a very useful thing and give you lineup flexibility once again. I'm also thinking about situations in which Carl Anthony Towns misses five to 10 games or five to 15 games. You got to have someone who can step in and provide you consistent minutes. Nasri can do that, but again, we run into the size issue. So, what I have is Okay. Torian Prince. Okay. Who would just be used as salary filler. He's on an expiring contract. Yeah. Leandro Balmaro. Okay. And a protected first round pick for Jonas Valanciunas and a second. So you're not giving a big back to New Orleans. No. And that's the issue. New Orleans. We, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming here you'd probably have to get a third team involved. So, okay. I like this. So my, all right, so here's my thought. Could we work in the Rockets somehow? Get Christian Wood to New Orleans. Sure. Because then that gives Christian Wood the ability to be an outside scorer whenever Zion comes back. Because Zion's mm-hmm. not an outside scorer by any means. That gives Zion the ability to be down low where he belongs and just be a point the point forward for them. Um, right. So then, yeah. I also think that the Kings could be a nice third team too because they just have like six centers. Like it could be – 
Rashawn Holmes is super talented. Bagley, Bagley, Bagley would be yes. a fun like upside. The Pelicans don't know what they're doing. Like let's let's take a flyer on Mal- uh, Marvin Bagley. Yeah, I I would even be in for the Wolves to 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 drum up some talks about Marvin Bagley. Yeah, uh, just yeah. someone who can give size and lineup flexibility. I think that's really the only thing that's on my wish list right now. I'm just kind of looking at some guys who I think could maybe be really good, really, 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 really good in that situation. But Marvin Bagley, I think, accomplishes those things too without having to give up as much. Um, and again, it's all in the timeline thing, right? Like right. how how married are you to? this core group of Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and Anthony Edwards. Because if you are, then you're probably going to want to get a third team involved and just say whatever first round picks you want, you can have them and we'll just provide draft compensation and so on and so forth. Um, so it, it really just depends. I tend to lean towards the more conservative approach here. Um, but again, something something that I think could work really well. I like Jonas Valanciunas. I think he's always oh. been pretty underrated. I've loved Jonas Valanciunas and I've like the year the Raptors traded him uh, for uh, who is it for? Oh, for Sergi. No, who was it for? I feel like they traded him for now, of course. Oh, Marcus all. They got him for Marcus all. They, they gave up on Valanciunas. They traded him for Marcus all. It was a weird trade, but um, I loved him and I wanted the Celtics to get him at one point and he would fit perfectly on the Timberwolves or how married are you to D'Angelo Russell? Um, I think he's a very volatile player. I think right now the hot take is that he's the most important player on the Timberwolves. When he plays poorly, the Timberwolves get boat raced. When mm-hmm. he plays well, Timberwolves beat really good teams and look like they could be a top five team in the West. That's when he plays well and he mm-hmm. looks like his Brooklyn self. I mean, you look at the Miami game. We don't win that game without D'Angelo Russell. He scores 16 in the fourth. Um, right. I, it, there's, there's times where he just catches fire. Um, and he's just really fun to watch. How married am I to him? I don't know. I, I wish I, 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 that's another question that I wish I could answer. I, I just feel like he's, he can just be so up and down shooting the basketball. I mean, that's just, that's my biggest issue. Um, but, but the strides that he's made in playmaking, passing the ball, just had 11 assists last night in Brooklyn, um, are, are really, that, that's great. Um, but I guess my conundrum right now is are the Timberwolves really good when D'Angelo Russell plays well because it's D'Angelo Russell or because the Timberwolves are really in need of a shot making guard. I I guess that that's kind of where I'm at. Well, so that brings me to one of my trades. My trade idea is the Timberwolves do, uh, whether it's at the end of this year, whether it's during the trip before the trade deadline this year, there's a former Celtic um, who has done some great things in the great state of uh, Carol- South Carolina. Um, his name is Terry Rozier. <laughs> and I think Terry Rozier could be a good point guard for the Timberwolves because he doesn't need to have the ball. We learned that this year he, he, that would give Anthony Edwards still the ability to have, like be the ball dominant guard for or ball dominant player for the Timberwolves. You learned that from Terry Rozier. He plays alongside LaMelo. This would also give D'Angelo Russell the ability to not be as ball dominant like he was whenever he was on the Brooklyn Nets, when it was pretty much Spencer Dinwiddie or Karis LeVert kind of bringing up the ball for the Nets. And that gives LaMelo still the opportunity. You'd have to throw some picks in there, but that was one idea just so that gives, you don't have the, and plus contracts still fit, but you're losing, you're going to be getting money back pretty much from Rozier. It's a little less money for Rozier. Where I pause with that is, What's really, really, really been interesting this year, and I think I, 
I think the most interesting D'Angelo Russell storyline are his strides on the defensive end. He's right. not athletic whatsoever. Um, he, he just isn't an athlete. But uh, one thing he one thing he has done is actually like given a shit on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that he just hasn't done in the past. Um, and so that's where I get a little bit of pause in the trade is is he actually does lead the Wolves in net rating right now. He's been Absolutely. really, really important. And so um that that's where I'd get paused on the defenseman because that's where the wolves are making their bread right now. But I, I do like the idea because when, I mean, when Terry Rozier gets hot, it's really fun to watch. Trust me. I've missed that man. He is still my favorite backup <laughs> point guard in Boston Celtics history. Um, the other one, which we kind of already led into was the Marvin Bagley idea. You need, you talked about needing size and, you know, take a flyer out of Marvin Bagley. That's why I thought I talked to my brother. Who's a thunder fan. I was like, man, the thunder need a center. Derek favors is not the center for the future at all <laughs> for that team. So I think if you can, if you can take a flyer out on Marvin Bagley, send Jake Lehman and his ridiculous, Please. how many dollars and cents that man is making ridiculous Please. to me. Please and, do. and like a second, you're one of your four second round picks coming this year for Marvin Bagley. I feel like that is worth the time and money for Marvin Bagley. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I like, please take Jake Lehman. I, he hasn't seen any clock. He kind of looks like just a crazed fan out on the floor whenever <laughs> he's out. Like, he well, like, like got they, up from the courtside seat and ran, ran right. running up and down. I was going to say, well, it's not like the King, well, the Kings are playing Bagley a little bit more, but even still, they're not playing him all that much. Yeah. So why, why it's because this is the year it's the end of his contract is at the end of this year. You're not going to be paying him anymore after this. So it still is, it's an expiring contract. It's a restricted free agent contract still, but it's still worth like trying to even go for it because I feel like you need a big, and he has the ability. He's seven foot. The man has the length to also just lean up against big men. But so I think he has the ability just to expand that size, that six foot nine, nine Nas Reed is not doing. And also you don't want to have to worry about Jared Vanderbilt being as in as much foul trouble. Well, that all sounds great in theory, Mitch, but in order for that to happen, the Kings have to be a well-run organization <laughs> and firing your coach after like 15 games or whatever it was. And then also holding on to a player who refuses to check in for you sometimes is, uh, right. I don't know if that's necessarily the uh, way to do things. So I like the idea. Trust me, I'm, I'm all in on it, but again, need to be a competent run organization i'm kind of throwing stones from a glass house but we have a rod now so <laughs> i was right. gonna say yeah a rod's getting in trouble for hosting uh practices at his own house though so i mean i don't know what you're talking yeah. about <laughs> yeah i know well hey you risk it to get the biscuit right absolutely <laughs> i guess that's a phrase for it <laughs> bruce arians that's that's his phrase i think um, right well well mitch you brought up a trade for d'angelo russell and i know andrew it seems like you're more bullish on D'Angelo and his impact and I think maybe you notice a few of the things that we don't getting to watch the Timberwolves almost every game is his strides in the defensive end of the floor and his passing ability which I think were his two biggest knocks coming into this year and coming into the previous years is just he seemed like a ball stopper previously yeah Um, yeah I I don't know if I would I don't know if I would say bullish I just I think I've seen really good strides made where they previously weren't I shot selection still remains an issue yeah 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 no yeah, that makes sense. But I think, you know, when I was trying to come up with some trades is he's one of the guys that I was targeting just because of his growth. I feel like he has a lot of market value as well as the contract, the size of the contract. If you actually want a really good piece back, you're going to yeah. probably have to give up a lot. And when you look down the rest of the asset list for the Timberwolves, like Cat and Edwards are non-starters for me in terms of a trade. I think that goes without explaining but right when it comes to the other guys the rest of that roster i don't think there's a whole lot of intrigue from other teams 
if you're trying to get back like a really good piece. Um, so two guys that I was looking at, I mean, when you talk about trade rumors, the number one guy right now on the market is Mr. Ben Simmons. And I think this would be an interesting piece for the Timberwolves. Now, it doesn't solve their issue of a second scoring guard, which you said. Like, it completely gets rid of that because D'Angelo Russell helps out Anthony Edwards on the perimeter a lot. But it helps in terms of size and rebounding and defensive ability. So, you know, you don't really have to go shop for another center because you have a six foot 10 point guard who can also really pass and is a nice driving, you know, uh, player that really, if Cat's playing on the perimeter, Anthony Edwards, you know, wants to take a break, he can actually penetrate the rim and kick to shooters. Um, but, you know, I think this could be an interesting trade that also benefits the Sixers, which it seems like they're very picky and needing sort of a guy that helps their chances to win a championship and go deep in the playoffs. And I actually think Russell does that in terms of another scoring guy on the perimeter, um, not named Seth Curry. So I think this could be something that intrigues the Sixers. I don't know if it would help the Timberwolves as well, just in terms of motivation factor of, you know, a guy like Ben Simmons playing in Minnesota. I don't know if he'd be thrilled to do that. Um, just given his, I think his interest in playing in Los Angeles, but right. You know, I don't, I don't know your thoughts on that. I don't take offense to it. I, I, I mean, I don't like the winters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I think that, uh, I, I mean, that's, I, I, I get that. My, my only issue with all of the mock up Ben Simmons trades is in with a organization that has struggled shooting the basketball for so long, sending out shooting for no shooting in return is a little bit of a tough break. Um, right. however, I think that Ben Simmons is the, uh, you want, I said Miles Turner was a good fit. I think Ben Simmons is the match made in heaven fit next to Carl Anthony Towns defensively. Yeah. I think you play Ben Simmons at the four. Chris Finch will find a way to get him points on that end, and, and he'll probably be handling the ball most of the time. Um, but that's the issue, right? I mean, you're sending out D'Angelo Russell. I'm assuming you're probably sending out Jaden McDaniels too. Probably mm-hmm. a first. Yep. I, I don't know. One or so two. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, that's just where I get a little bit of pause is just the, the idea of shooting because then, I mean, your, your, your starting five is going to be Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and then, you know, Malik Beasley is going to be your probably second best shooter um mm-hmm. who's going to be probably and, and Malik Beasley's probably taking 14 threes a game or and, and 16 17 shots I mean he took 14 last night in Brooklyn and he came off the bench so right. um he's going to be taking a ton of shots I don't know if I'm comfortable with Malik Beasley taking 18 or 19 shots a night so um I, I don't know Ben Simmons is obviously going to take some of those too but at the same time you, you want your shots to go to really good shooters I that's a conundrum for me. I, I just have, I just get a little bit of, I just get a little bit of pause um, yeah. sending out shooting for nothing. No, no. And I, no I, think that, I think that was my biggest self-criticism of that too. But I just think when it comes to Ben Simmons, like if he could actually get himself to play in Minnesota and get past that, I think yeah. it would be a great situation from him for him in terms of pairing with Kat and Anthony Edwards, as well as just being in a low pressure environment. Like, Right now, he sort of needs that. Like, I think shipping him to the Los Angeles or some big market is not the not the answer for him. Um, I agree. So, you know, I, I think he could really thrive and maybe unlock some potential that we haven't seen yet, which that's the thing with him is you're getting a giant question mark, which is good and bad. Um, yeah. So. No, I, I agree. The team would be incredibly fun to watch on the fast break, and they definitely push the pace. Uh, I just think it would be 
I just think it's that it would be a team just full of home run hitters, right? Mm -hmm. Like on nights where you're not shooting the ball well, you normally have one to two guys who can take you out of that hole and keep you in a game. I feel like with a team of Anthony Edwards, Cat, and Malik Beasley, and Ben Simmons, on nights where Cat's not shooting the ball well, you're dead in the water. Um, And so uh, that could be – but you may win the game on defense. So that's that's the other glass half full look at it. I I don't know – that's just that's my one that's just my one thing that gives me pause about it right now initially I was like uh when his stock was really low like when he was really 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 feuding with the Sixers I was like okay take Jade McDaniels take like Pat Bev take like Malik Beasley and however many unprotected firsts you want and just see where that goes um honestly with where this team is at right now I don't know if I'm willing to give up more than that in a trade period um Mm. just because I just kind of want to see where the core group goes I would like to maybe see if we can get size at a value um and just then go that route and evaluate from there like what what happens when this team is shooting well playing good offense playing good defense and rebounding well rebounding well has been the x factor right now as to why they have been up and down so yeah Shifting, shifting to one more trade I got, Mitch, and I, I don't know if you have another one, but uh, what do you think of Josh Okogie's trade value right now, and how do you assess his role in the Timberwolves? How, how valuable <laughs> do you think he could possibly be in a trade? Because I was like, man, this guy's making way too much money and not doing anything, so I was wondering if I could flip him for something. So it happens when you're, when you're a first-round pick. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, I For someone who's in and out of the rotation um, – I just don't necessarily know what you can get for that. He can't shoot the ball very well. I, I see him as somebody who's like a Jake Lehman on steroids where he's a really good defender um, and he can get points off cutting. Um, right. And that's it. If you're looking for that type of a guy, then, then sure. I think at this point um, he, he's actually up going to be up for an extension this off season, I think. So um, that's another thing is do the wolves resign him or not? Right. I don't know. I think his value is uh, he's a flyer player. Like he's a throw in. And if a team thinks that they fit, like he could be like a, like a Gary Payton, the second, I feel like. Right. Yeah. That that's exactly what I was thinking. And I think the perfect team that needs somebody who can play defense and cut off ball is the Charlotte Hornets. And I know Mitch, you targeted this team earlier with Terry Rozier. I think a piece that you guys could get back is maybe James Bucknight, a guy who's not really playing at all. You know, obviously I think he has a little bit more value in terms of, where he was drafted and just the expectations, but he gives you a lot of offensive ability, possibly off the bench, maybe moves into the starting role at some point alongside Anthony Edwards. And it gives LaMelo ball a piece to cut play defense. The Hornets are searching for defense right now. Like so bad, like they're absolutely awful. And I mean, you're not expecting a lot from a Kogi if he came off the bench and just could guard for like 15 minutes a game and get like three layups and or a couple dunks and maybe, you know, some steals and fast break opportunities with LaMelo. So I think, I mean, maybe throw in like a pick in there, just sweeten the deal or another player, but I think that could be an interesting look for them as well. I really like that. Uh, I think that that would be, a, I think it's a win-win for both teams. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're right. I think defensively the Hornets need energy, <laughs> right? <laughs> like they just feel like they're just such a lackadaisical defensive team. Yep. Um, they're so fun to watch, but just so bad defensively. And, and Okogie can help that a little bit. Um, I, the Wolves have played him at the four before. I think he can guard effectively one through three. Um, 
and maybe take a little bit off Miles Bridges' plate on the other end of the floor if you mm-hmm. want to play them together. So I, I like that. I, I do. Um, and I, I would have no problem putting a pick in to, to get James Booknight. I think I think he's talented. Um, and why not take a flyer on him? Right. Well, yeah, like you said, you just need some extra scoring for that guard position. So why not? Well, Carlson, we thank you for coming on to talk about the Timberwolves. He is going to stay on to talk about our next segment, the top 10 small forwards in the NBA. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. We are back with our top 10 small forwards. Mitch and I have previously done our shooting guards and point guards list, but we're just sort of ticking through the positions here with Andrew Carlson back. Uh, We just talked some Timberwolves. Um, We'll see if we can sneak one or two in into this top 10 list. Um, But Mitch, I'll kick it over to you so we can get going. Well, yeah. So one thing we, when we talked about this off air, we were definitely just trying to figure out, you know, what really defines as a small forward. And, you know, uh, after talking to Carlson, you know, we kind of decided that Anthony Edwards might be a small forward. Um, However, for Aaron and us, we have him as a shooting guard, but you know, the NBA is just so fluid when it comes to positions, when it between two, three and four, the point guard and center, just the only two that are really defined, but you know, Carlson, you know, I'll have you start us off. Who is at number 10 for your small forwards? So number 10, uh, just if we're going off of performances here, I'm going to have Chris Middleton. Um, I, I think that it's been a little bit of a down year for him. Um, but, I mean, he's still putting up points. He's shooting. Um, so I, I'm going to start off with Chris Middleton. That's going to change. I know he's right. going to catch fire. It's He's like one of the streakiest players ever. Like when he's hot, it's unbelievable. Um, so he'll inevitably move up from number 10. But right now, that's where he's at. Um, and, again, very fluid, very fluid list. It's just when you when you look at Chris Middleton, you're like, okay, is he shooting the ball well? Okay, he's not. All right. Uh, well, he may yeah. bump a little bit. And I always feel like he's the first casualty in like a top 10 list. Absolutely. Um, because I just – I do feel like he's a little bit underrated. But well, So I'm going to be a victim of that. No, and you're right. He had one of his most efficient years last year. So it's just like, you know, if he's a B, B-minus defender at best. And so whenever – if he's not shooting well, you know, he definitely ticks down on my list. Aaron – after Chris Milton is at 10 for Carlson, who is your number 10? Yeah, uh, my number 10 is Dylan Brooks. Um, I had to sneak Mitch's favorite player into this top 10 list. I hate him. Um, Love Dylan on, Brooks. He always bodies the Timberwolves. Yes. Oh no, I, I, he is one of my favorite players in the NBA. I just think he's, I mean, he matches that Memphis grit. Um, he's not fantastic offensively and his shot doesn't look pretty, but honestly, he gets the job done. Um, putting up 17 and a half points per game hasn't been healthy this entire year um, only played nine games but when they've when he's been in the Grizzlies have been six and three um, and I think he really has a big impact on this team and at least takes some pressure off John Morant so I got him at number 10 and plus I mean he's a great defender so number 10 for Dylan Brooks I want to throw many things at you from St. Louis um, <laughs> my gosh um, all right well while you two Man, that's just a, that's as bad of a comparison as Will Barton being your top ten for shooting guards. My lord, dude! All Wait, right. he made the top ten. Yeah, he made top ten for shooting guards last week. Oh, oh dear! I know. <laughs> I think he's just doing this to spite me at this point. Um, all right, my number ten. This might be despite Carlson. Uh, it's Andrew Wiggins. Um, Andrew Wiggins is having one of his best statistical years. He's having one of his best years defensively. He actually just started to give a crap on defense this year. Uh, 
one of his more efficient years. I feel like it's like his second best three point shooting percentage year. Um, free throws are a little down when it comes to percentage wise, but honestly, the fact it definitely helps that he's playing alongside uh, one of the top three players in, in the NBA right now and Steph Curry, and also just doesn't have to be, he's not focused as the number one guy on offense, but I feel like this guy, he just has such a great ability to uh, just provide for them at that small forward position and just has so has gotten a lot better just with the Warriors. You won't see any Andrew Wiggins hate over here. I'm, I'm a big, I'm still an Andrew Wiggins fan. Love that. I, yeah, no, I mean, you got to call a spade a spade. He wasn't very good in Minnesota, but no, I'm, I'm a fan. It's cool to see him thrive in a, in a role that he's comfortable in. Absolutely. Well, Aaron, you had, gosh, Dylan Brooks at 10. Who is your uh, number nine over there? I got Brandon Ingram. Um, I really don't enjoy watching Brandon Ingram play, but in terms of skill, he's a top 10 player just in terms of what he can do offensively. I mean, when you look at that Pelicans roster, I know we talked about Jonas Valanciunas and he's played really well this year, but outside of him, like they're just struggling right now and they really need Zion to come back and he's a clear number two to Zion. But until that point, he's a top 10 player for me putting up 20 a night, actually really good from three point range. Um, and has proved his shooting there. Um, definitely questionable on the defensive end and a few other areas, but I think just in terms of offensive upside, he's a top 10 for me. So I got him at number nine. I was, hope, I was really looking forward to seeing him play with Nikhil Alexander-Walker this year, but he's been – Nikhil Alexander-Walker has been disappointing. Just hasn't shot mm-hmm. the ball very well. That was going to be a fun thing coming into the year, but not all for not. Yeah, well, that – and the fact that Devontae Graham is their point guard cannot be just such a great guard combo at all when it comes not to – Not great. Defense. No, not at all. Um, Carlson, what about you? Who do you got in nine? Nine, I have Miles Bridges. Um, I think – I mean, he's he's efficient at a high volume, and he's clearly made strides this year. Um, I think Miles Bridges is the type of player. Like, do you guys get the vibe that Miles Bridges is the type of player who I feel like it's going to take some time for him being good in order to work his way into like top player list, and for people to be like, "Oh yeah, Miles oh, yeah. Bridges is actually like a really good player." Um, yeah, I agree. I think he 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 reminds me of early on Blake Griffin. While it took Blake Griffin just the immediate stride to just get into the game and just be really good, I think Miles Bridges ha- has the ability just to grow into that ability as Blake Griffin. Now, I'm also saying this about one of the biggest high, highest flyers in the NBA history, but Miles Bridges has shown just as much electric ability when it comes to playing with the Hornets team. So I completely agree. The thing I love about him most is he's the type of player that shows 100% why you shouldn't give up on a player after like one or two years of their career. Mm -hmm. Um, Because look what they can become in like year four. So um, no love miles bridges thinks you think he's really good needs to, he, he, he's not good defensively. So that's why he's nine, but uh, really like his offensive upside. He's made some insane strides. Gotcha. Love it. Um, My number nine, um, this might be just as bad as Dylan Brooks, but I'm going for it anyways. It's uh, Lou Dort. Uh, Lou Dort is a top 10 defensive player in the NBA, especially as a top five perimeter defender in the NBA. Uh, the fact, the fact that this man, if he doesn't make an all defensive team this year, I will be shocked. Um, decently efficient when it comes to shooting. He is the second highest scorer on the worst team in the West, but does not change the fact that he is still their second best scorer. He and SGA are the only two guys who do anything for that offense in any sort of efficient way. It's over 50, he's at 50, over 50, over 30, and just over like 84 when it comes to free throw. Um, he is just, he, we talked about it last week, Aaron, Lou Dort is the 
infinitely better version of Andre Roberson and Tabo Cephalosha. So I feel like if, uh, if that's the case, if he can just continue to grow, I mean, he's such a young guy and he's shown just how good he is on defense. If offensively he can continue to get better. uh, I like Luke Dort at nine. But awesome. All right. So then we go to number eight, Andrew Carlson. Who is your number eight? I'm Mikhail Bridges at eight. Um, I think he is one of the best wing defenders in the league. Um, He is an efficient shooter and he is way more important to the Suns than a lot of people think. I feel like there's a lot of bias towards Chris Paul in the Suns success. And I think um, while that is valid, um, we are discounting Monty Williams, Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges um, and, and DeAndre Ayton for sure. Um, but I think Mikhail Bridges is a huge part of that. I mean, they don't win 16, 17 straight games um, without Mikhail Bridges. He's so versatile defensively. He shoots the ball really well. He makes big shots. Uh, I love Mikhail Bridges. I think he's an eventual number two, but um, he'll just have to wait his turn. Yeah, I like him. He just barely missed. He's number 11 on my list. He was just definitely fits that honorable mention. I know that's going to get a lot of crap, but honestly, oh, I know. Oh, I know. Man. The fact that I had Andrew Wiggins and Lou Dort over him is wild. But yeah, Lou Dort I, over him? Lou Dort, I man. He, I mean, I, I'm going to jump in because he's my number eight too, Andrew. So I'm, I'm totally on board with you. I mean, when you break down, it's like, why is a guy who's averaging 12 and a half a game in the top 10? And it's just because he does every single thing right for you, like you said. Yep. Um I honestly think he has a chance to – he has a case for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, I know Steph Curry had an off night the other night, um, which definitely played a role, but he guarded him so well on the perimeter and helped yeah. off ball to, you know, actually protect the rim for a shooting guard and small forward, which is pretty impressive. I think he just does everything right and doesn't get enough credit. So I agree with you completely. That's a great point. No, and trust me, I know how well – good. I, the, the thing that stopped me from putting Mikel Bridges on that list is because he's not even the third best guy on that team. And so that he he's the fourth best guy behind Aiton, Brooker, and Paul. So I feel like if he's not the top three guy on your team, I feel like that was just what was keeping me off the that kept me off the list. Uh, my number eight guy is Chris Milton. Um, uh, like Carlson, I feel like he would be infinitely higher on this list if he was having as efficient of a year. Um, he just continues. He's still fighting back from an injury. I mean, he continue due to the fact that honestly he played in the finals then went to the, then went to the olympics you know having that fatigue definitely was hitting him and so well i agree with carlson right now he's at number eight on this higher on the lower end of this top 10 list but i feel like you know once the season gets going once we hit february and march this guy's going to be rolling so right but right now i have him at number eight um carlson who's at seven for you Seven, I have Brandon Ingram. Um, I honestly wanted to put Brandon Ingram higher. I really like his game. Uh, I'm so sick of people. And as years as a Timberwolves fan, I have there's the same like the same thing kicked in for Carl Anthony Towns. But I'm so sick of people discounting how good a player is because they don't have anybody around them. Um, I think Brandon Ingram is a legitimate number two option. He can fill it up whenever he wants. He's a good shooter. He, I like. He's not shooting as good of a percentage as you want just because he pretty much has to take every single shot in the offense. Um, but he has a complete offensive game. I love Brandon Ingram. I am at seven. I don't hate that. And the thing is, I the only issue I ever had with Brandon Ingram was not even anything to do with him. It was when people decided to start comparing him to like Jason Tatum and like trying to say he was better than Jason Kevin Tatum. Durant comparisons just because he was skinny. 
right skinny wing shooter who could fill it up but like it wasn't it was not as near as efficient as what kd could do so i i that was i hated the comparisons that were driving that uh but i do agree brandon ingram is a stud aaron who do you have at number seven i got miles bridges um i know he was mentioned earlier i just i think i'm really bullish on him just given the strides he's taken this year i mean he's the betting favorite for most improved player um, I've been personally impressed by his shooting ability. I didn't realize he was going to be this good of a three-point shooter this year. Um, I know his efficiency is maybe not as as much there, but when he's hitting six, seven threes a game, like I never expected that out of Miles Bridges ever. Um, and I mean, he's a freak athlete. I think one thing I'd like to see from him more is just consistent driving ability, not in fast breaks. Uh, I think he could be getting to the line a lot more given his frame and athleticism. Um, so I think that's one area of growth for him. But I think he's, you know, considering his growth this year, I'm I'm on the Miles Bridges hype train. So I got him at seven. I have him at seven too, and I'm not going to beat a dead horse here. But honestly, he's yeah, he is just a great offensive talent. He's shown it that this year. Um, I would not have guessed that when he was coming out of Michigan State um, that he would have been this great. Um, but he's proven me wrong. Like Carlson said earlier, uh, defense is the issue for him. Um, he's been mentioned already twice, uh, but my number six is Brandon Ingram. Uh, I like Brandon Ingram a lot. Like Carlson said, he is the main go-to guy on this, on the Pelicans offense. Uh, Valanchunas is their secondary go-to guy, but that's honestly whenever uh, Ingram runs off a pick from him and says, Hey, you want to hit a pick and pop real quick here. And then, you know, you're just good to go. Um, But yeah, the only thing that I see that, and he's, he's increased uh, when it comes to assists a game for his career, when it comes to career average for him uh, just this year, he has shown the fact that he can be just such a well-versed offensive guy. Um, but again, it's his defense um, that worries me. Um, but Aaron, who do you have at number six? There will be no Chris Middleton slander on this podcast. Chris Middleton <laughs> is my number six. This man was taking some of the biggest shots in an NBA final series last year. He is so important to that team. I understand he's been hurt. I understand he hasn't been as efficient. I mean, his three-point percentage has fallen seven. Field goal percentage has fallen six. I get that, but in terms of what he means to this team and how skilled he is and truly how consistent he is once he gets going um, and healthy, I think is so important. So I think he's number six for me. Carlson, what about you? Who's at six for you? This is where I shoehorn in Anthony Edwards. I think it's only a matter of time before he's probably top three on the list, but uh, <laughs> he, need, he needs a little, he needs a little bit more. Consi- he, he just needs to be more consistent. Like last time in Brooklyn, he turns the ball over eight times. He's over half the team's turnovers. Um, so you ideally like to see that a little bit more, but he's absolutely electric. I think he probably should get some all-star attention this year. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's uh, like, I'll just leave that there. Uh, I'll let that marinate a little bit. I think he definitely should be, definitely should be receiving some all-star love. Um, but no, I think, I think it's only a matter of time before he, before he makes his way in, into the top, top handful. He, he definitely he definitely should get some all-star votes, whether or not he makes it this year. It might be one of those situations where, you know, you're a second-year guy who gets all that hype, and then, you know, he builds up that all-star vibe, uh, hype, and then that third year is when he finally gets in. Um, I feel like that's just kind of the trajectory he's heading towards. Uh, but, you know, Carlson, you gave us your number six with uh, Anthony Edwards. And like me and Aaron had him last week in our top ten for shooting guards, so at least, you know, he makes the top ten in any list at this point. Take it. Right, but who is your number five when it comes to the small force? Five, I have Jason Tatum. Um, like you talked about earlier in the year, made some strides in the defensive end. I think that he – I feel like in previous years he was very um, 
inconsistent defensively. Like you'd see the flashes and you'd be like, this guy can be a legitimate all defensive player. And then there are times where it's like, wow, he's a revolving door. Um, and, and it's really frustrating, but he has all of the tools to be that. Um, but no, I've, I've always really liked Jason Tatum. I think that he's a legitimate number one. Um, I'd like to see the Celtics ideally perform a little bit better. I think that he's also had, he's also been, uh, robbed of a supporting cast like that Eastern Conference Finals team was really really good a lot of important players from that team left it's not all on Jason Tatum like NBA Twitter wants you to think so um, really like Jason Tatum I, I have him at five I got him at five too um, I just think you know he's fallen off this year in terms of scoring and efficiency um, so I, I, I thought maybe going into the year he'd be top three um, and really making a run here I think his biggest criticism from NBA Twitter, as you said, Andrew, is the the connection with Jalen Brown. Can they actually mm-hmm. play together? Uh, you know, maybe that's as much as Jaylen, on Jalen Brown as it is Jason Tatum, but um, Jason Tatum's not yeah. helping the case either. Um, wow. And he's also just, you know, an unwilling passer at times and not a very good passer. So I think that's an area of his game he needs to grow to. I got him at number five. I feel like Jason Tatum's a really weird tweener. Like, I'd like to see him either get better at passing or rebounding. Like I'd like to see him like one of those two, like he needs to fine tune his game in one of those two areas in order for me to be like, yes, this is the, this is, we really have an issue here. And I think a lot of it, you know, was built on expectations. Like when he came into the league Duke product, like, you know, expected to be maybe the next Kobe Bryant. There were a lot of comparisons there, which maybe were unfair. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that probably impacts my rating here based on expectation, but I think he's a great NBA player and has a chance to be a super duper star. Um, but right it's, now we're just going to have to settle for a superstar. It's crazy. Cause I thought and wanted the Celtics to take Josh Jackson that year. I thought Josh Jackson was unbustable. I thought he was going to be an unbelievable NBA player, but again, Danny Ainge proved me wrong. I have a five, two, and I'm just happy that there's been good things said about my favorite player in the NBA right now. <laughs> um, no, I agree. Jason Tatum has had, it's just been a, such a weird year when it comes to the Celtics um, and Jason Tatum has been like their main go-to guy. He is the one a to Jalen Brown being one B uh, for this team. And I think that's how it should be. Um, you know, when I think it was, it was fair for Marcus smart to talk about his passing early in the year. Cause he definitely had moments where there were wide open guys, but Jason Tatum was like, hi, I'm just going to go with reckless abandon to the hoop and then complain that I got fouled. And I really didn't uh, and how the tough, the NBA is roughing it this year. Um, but yeah, I have him at number five. He's increased a lot when it, he's gotten a lot better when it comes defensively. He has gotten a little more, he has gotten inefficient when it comes to shooting his sidestep, step back threes uh, make me want to blow my brains out about every fifth time. Um, but you know, in, you know, I live with that because he's, I love him and I want him to come over and hang out with me whenever he comes to St. Louis next time. Um, <laughs> but uh, I also have him at number five, which means, I think we're all going to have a similar top four here. It's really depending on where the heck we have these guys. Um, but Aaron, I'll have you lead us off. Who starts your number with your number four? It's Mr. DeMarvelous, DeMar DeRozan, uh, my hometown Chicago Bulls. I've been so impressed by DeMar DeRozan. Um, I mean, I think people forgot about him in San Antonio. Didn't realize he was there for three years. Like, this dude completely fell off the face of the earth and was unappreciated. He was still putting up 20 points a night. He's playing even better now. You know, he hasn't played this good since 2016 when he was the man in Toronto. Um, fourth in the league in scoring. He's been exactly the upgrade the Bulls team has been needing to and taking some pressure off of Levine. Um, 
And, you know, he's just a mid-range wizard and is a great defensive player as well. I think he does everything right. Um, and he clearly seems energized, too, in Chicago. Um, it just feels like he's, like, reawoken his career. So I like DeMar, DeMar DeRozan a lot. Um, the people of Chicago love DeMar DeRozan, and he's number four for me. Very good. We, I, uh, I have him later on on my list, but I do just love the description that you just gave. Uh, Carlson, what about you? Who's your, who's your four? I'm at Paul George uh, with number four. Um, I he's playing at an MVP level. I think he's really good. Um, I don't know. I just feel like I, I have a little bit of I have a little bit of bias against Paul George. I'll admit it. I, all <laughs> defensive, all defensive player, really good offensive player. Um, I honestly just think the players above him on my list are a little bit better this year. That's fine. You know, well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll get I'll get to my uh, argument with you later then. Uh, but my number four <laughs> is someone different. We all had someone different at number four. I have Jimmy Butler. Um, I think he, while he is the best player on the Heat, um, he, he is just, you know, he, he has decreased when it comes to uh, rebounds and assists this year. His defense has still been as spectacular as it always is. Um, and he's kind of, you know, deferred to his other guys when it comes to offense. You know, Tyler Hero at one point was leading the Miami Heat in scoring um at like earlier on this year um but honestly you know he is he deserves to be in the top top 15 top 20 of nba players in the league right now just by how he's playing but also i just feel like he deserves to just be have more recognition i know jimmy butler uh ran a shit show or started a shit show when it came to minnesota but you know we we let we let those times pass and you know he's shown that he's a better leader than he was in minnesota (laughs) i'll have that i have that one locked and loaded a little bit (laughs) <laughs> all right well then what's your, what's your number three carlson three i have jimmy butler and there he it's, it's it's despite the fact that he pulled the biggest pr stunt in the history of nba <laughs> history he came in went to a practice said you can't win without me which by the way he's three and four against the timberwolves since he said that um so that was fun had rachel nichols waiting in the wings uh that's all i'll say about that i'm not gonna elaborate anymore on his relationship with rachel nichols um because you know you know you think of the kids you think of the kids absolutely and this is a this is a family-friendly podcast we've said shit show about 17 different times on it <laughs> exactly that's you're exactly right uh, but i don't want i don't want to elaborate that's 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 rated r um and then you know i mean not to mention he he got he got punked a couple weeks ago by, by anthony edwards but nonetheless i still think he's a very good player um what, what he did in the bubble is not lost on me. Um, he's still a first team, all defensive player, I think. Um, and, and he does it all. He, he's never been a great shooter. I, I thought, I, I thought for some reason, like his shooting peaked when he was his last year in Chicago, his first mm-hmm. year on the wolves. And then like after the Sixers trade, and then he starts in Miami, like things kind of went downhill and then it spiked again in the bubble and then it's back down. It's just, it, his shooting is really volatile, but he finds ways to make an impact despite that. So um, I, as much as I hate to say it, I really do like Jimmy Butler as a player. I just think he's a little bit fake. That's all. <laughs> I don't, I don't hate the fake comment. Honestly, I do feel like there is some moments where I, it, I just like, there's no way this guy is real. The whole, the whole coffee selling thing down the bubble too, but it was just a little annoying, but whatever. It's a stunt. It's a stunt. <laughs> He's full of PR stunts. Well, Aaron, who is your number three? I got Paul George. Um, as you said, Andrew, making a case for MVP this year. Um, I mean, when you look at the rest of that Clippers roster, it's just impressive. I mean, it, you know, he's got a lot of – Ty Lue and the Clippers have a lot of professionals on that roster, but not a lot of scorers. I mean, when your second best scorer is Reggie Jackson, 
one of the most inefficient players in the NBA. And Paul George is really carrying the weight there. Um, you know, great defender. Um, I just think he's great. So number four for me or number three for me, Paul George. Paul. I, I, I think Paul George is, I mean, I, and I think I don't disagree with Paul George at three. I just feel like my thing with Paul George is we talk about him as an MVP candidate every single year, yet he just isn't on the same level as the people who actually win MVP. I don't know what reason. Maybe it's because of the playoffs. Maybe it's because of different. I, I don't know. But he's never on the same level as the people who actually win MVP. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Mitch, I'll tee you up. Well, no, it's fine. I think Paul George, I, I, I have still so Paul George is not at number three. I had DeMar DeRozan at number three for me. Um, but Paul George has his moments where, you know, I mean, I feel like the two this year and then his one year with the Thunder where he was an MVP candidate were just, re, I mean, were astronomically different than what he was doing earlier with the Clippers, but I'll get to that later. DeMar DeRozan is my number three. Um, this has been one of his best years, um, especially with it helps when he has such a great supporting cast with Levine and Vooch and Ball. Um, he has decided to start giving a crap on defense. He has been has one of his most efficient years when it comes to three point shooting, because he started to shoot three pointers this year, which has been an anomaly for everyone because no one thought he could shoot three pointers. So now he can, and he ruined the Celtics with it. Um, he's still the king of the mid range and he has brought back the mid range game with the help of Devin Booker, KD. I mean, those guys, I mean, all three of those guys are now the Kings of mid range and it has made, has made a mockery of the, the analysts who think that the mid range game should not be in the NBA. So screw you guys. And then, um, I, I think this, he is, he and Levine are definitely one, a one, a B one, one, a one B for the Chicago bulls, whatever order you want to put them in. But I feel like he is definitely helping lead this bulls team to one of their best years since the day. I mean, since, uh, the later Rose years when they were going up against the Cavs in like the second round of the playoffs. I feel like this is one of the best Bulls teams we've seen in maybe seven years. So that's where I have DeRozan. Um, Aaron, who is number two for you? It is Jimmy Butler. You both have covered him already, so I don't need to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I know he's not the greatest shooter shooting like 20% from three, but um, I just think, you know, what he brings to that team, they've clearly built an entire team around him, guys that he can actually work well with. Um, and, you know, he gets to the line at will. I think he's averaging the second most free throws in, per game than anybody in the NBA other than Giannis, which, I mean, that's self-explanatory. So right. I think he's just always committed to getting his in, in whatever way he can, but he's also a good teammate when guys actually work well with him and have a similar personality, unlike they did in Minnesota. So I like Jimmy Butler. I think the Heat are a championship team and he's their best player. So number two for me. It was therapeutic in the off season to see the article that he's already not getting along with Tyler hero. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> happens in other places too. No way. I wonder if it's uh must be the other players problem. Has to be uh, Carlson. Who's at number two for you? I've, I've uh, DeRozan at two. Um, I, I mean, his offensive bag this year has just been something that we haven't seen before. Um, bad rap in Toronto. Um, just because him and Kyle, Lowry, like I, like I, hate Kyle Lowry oh my gosh. Um, how do you not hate Kyle Lowry he's taking charges in the all-star game <laughs> you have to hate Kyle Lowry so him and Kyle Lowry I mean I there was just something about that team especially for me that just was like bad taste in my mouth um but he's completely proven me wrong I always thought of like you said Mitch I think it was you who said it just an afterthought in San Antonio and it, it kind of looked like his career was dead yeah. um 
honestly. Like, it was just like, okay, uh, he's not as athletic anymore. He's now, like, kind of in his 30s. And so who knows how his game is actually going to age. And then he goes to Chicago, and it's like, wow. Like, where was this? Mm -hmm. Um, He's scoring the ball so well. It's almost effortless for him. I feel like he can get to the rim whenever he wants. And and it's because of that three-point shot. I feel like – we were all waiting for this. <laughs> yeah. like we were all waiting for the DeMar DeRozan that can shoot the three ball because that opens up so much more in his game. And now it's finally here. And if he's able to keep that up, um, wow, the Bulls are going to be scary. I don't disagree. I, I, and honestly, DeMar DeRozan is having one of his, is having a renaissance here. It's just definitely showing mm-hmm. up the fact that he is just, I agree with you. He had no, I had no idea what he was going to produce when he came to Chicago. Definitely didn't think it was going to be this. Um, my number two is LeBron James. Whoa. I have, I have LeBron James at number go. two. Wow. Um, I don't want to hear any, I don't want anything to back up against. He's dated. He's now nicknamed day to day. James for me. Can't, can't count on him to play <laughs> every game. Clothes. Street clothes, James and Davis. Day to day. Davis makes me want to day to day. Davis is just as worse. This Lakers team is, if you, I'm counting the, I'm putting LeBron James both as a player and as a GM for the Lakers, um, because he crafted a terrible team to surround himself with. I will say, Russell Westbrook has not been the man yet you want at point guard. The fact that they didn't trade for Buddy Heald is still ridiculous to me, and they didn't get an actual score. And the fact that he decided, hey, we don't need any more of these defensive guys that we had so much success with. But no, fly away, go away. Um, so LeBron James is a GM, bad. One of his his play this year. The thing that pisses me off most about LeBron James is his constant strut after foul when he thinks he gets fouls. Um, and so I think that has been infinitely amplified this year. Like he has like practiced it. He practiced it all last off season because he didn't, he had more time to practice it when he got out in the first round of the playoffs. So he's like, Oh, I got to get this better. And so he's been doing that more and more when he's playing. And so that aggravates me. The thing all, and when he actually get to the player of it all, he had, he's not having as, uh, as good of a year. It definitely helps when he, it doesn't help when he, his second best player, Anthony Davis is having as bad of a shooting year as he's having. The Lakers are a mid tier team. They're just above five. Uh, wait, hold on. Are they above 500 now? Someone remind me. I think they're barely over 500. They're at 500. They're 12, 12 and 12. 11. Are they 12 and 11? Or are they 12, 12 and 12? 12. They're 12 and 12 after last night to the Clippers. This That's team, right. okay. they, they, to me, are not. If you if your number one guy in the NBA is at twelve and twelve at this point in the season, I'm not believing it. So that is my number two, and my number one is Paul George. Um, the reason why is because we talked about it already. He's having an MVP caliber year. If he's an MVP caliber, why shouldn't he be your number one guy uh, on the list? And so he's literally carrying. We've already been prefaced it. It's he's carrying this Clippers team when its second best scorer is Reggie Jackson, who I'll I'll admit was really down on. And then he decided to shut me up in the bubble last year. So, I mean, not in the bubble in the playoffs last year, decided to just go off and do his own thing. Cause I did not think he was going to be any worth of crap whenever he joined them. Um, Marcus Morris once is still my least favorite player in the NBA. So the fact that, you know, Paul George can get along with him is, is incredible to me, but also he's shown that he, he is what I want Jason Tatum to be. 
a really good offensive player who knows when it's not his time to shoot to literally he is Paul George has great assist numbers and it's because he knows hey this is when it's my time to give it up he also is like we've said an all NBA an all defensive player in the NBA he is shown how he can guard players he is the worst luck because he's guarding the best players in the NBA when he, he is the worst luck when it comes to sh- getting shot over whenever like guys are making game-winning shots but it's because he's trusted with I mean there's a literal compilation clip of him getting shot I mean having like 18 game-winning shots over him but it's because he's being trusted by guarding the best players in the NBA so I have Paul George at number one because he's having an MVP caliber year and none of the guys on this list have we have classified as having an MVP caliber year secondly is because he's he's carrying this Clippers team to a above 500 record with a, a much worse roster than what the Lakers have third He's able to do it on both ends, which is not something LeBron James ha- has this anymore. He doesn't have the defensive ability. He has great offense, off-ball m- moments where he blocks. He still has his uh, block the ball off the backboard moments, like once every 17 games. But it, outside of that, it's just not worth it. So Paul George is my number one. Well, Andrew and I both have LeBron, so uh, I'd assume Andrew. So, Andrew, I'll, I'll let you attack Mitch first because this is going to be a two-on-one session right now. <laughs> Bring, it <on. laughs> Bring it on. Well, I, I, I mean, first of all, the idea of like, okay, Paul George is a good passer because he knows when to give it up. There isn't a single player on this list that can even touch LeBron James's passing ability, court oh, vision, right. playmaking. It, it's, right. it, like, it, it's not even it's – like, it's like power gap. It's like – no, LeBron right. James, power gap, power gap, power gap, power gap, everybody else in terms of playmaking. Um, Lakers are still seven and five with him this year. Uh, and it's just like, this is just a prototypical LeBron James year. Like things start out slow. People are starting to say, okay, maybe, maybe he's starting to slow down a little bit, whatever, whatever. Um, why? <laughs> we, we've seen this script so many times. I mean, he just comes back. He, he flips it on like a switch. Um, and brings his team to the playoffs. And I wouldn't be surprised if they make a deep playoff run, despite having Russell Westbrook on his team. Russell Westbrook's one of the worst players I've ever seen. I have a rant queued up for Russell Westbrook. I've already had it multiple times. I've been a Russell Westbrook hater for many, 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 many years. (laughs) I don't think he's a very good player. I'm going to be honest. He takes terrible shots. And he plays the best defense in the league because he prevented KD, Harden, um, and a few other pretty solid players from getting a championship. So... (laughs) We'll see if he can do it. With, we'll see if he can pull off his magnum opus and do it with LeBron James. I don't think that they're a good fit together. I thought it was a bad move from the start. He's making forty-five million dollars this year, which prevents them from doing anything else with their team. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony Davis is not having a good year yet. When LeBron James plays, the Lakers actually look like a pretty good team. Carmelo Anthony's averaging fifteen points a game this year. He was in. He was at lifetime sky a year and a half ago. So. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not going to curtain the Lakers. LeBron James' supporting cast has not been playing very well. And despite that, when they play their two games above 500, I don't think it's time to give up on LeBron James. He's shown us plenty of times before why we shouldn't. Um, and he's going to do it again in his late 30s. Yeah, I agree, Andrew. I mean, Mitch, your point is definitely taken on the whole acting part of this. You know, and, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be lost in us that, LeBron James is officially an actor now. So I was going to say, yeah, that, that definitely his, plays a role. I was going to say his experience in Space Jam really amplified it all. Right. And having, 
and having like the chosen one on your back, like tattooed on your back, definitely doesn't help your case either. Um, You know, I've always been a LeBron James defender and I feel like in recent years I've become more critical of him. And I think that's part of the Lakers culture of the whole Hollywood thing. Like all the announcers, the Lakers announcers are calling him the King. Now, like it's not even LeBron, it's the King every single time. So if I ever have to watch a Lakers stream on NBA league pass again, I might, you know, not, not ever again. Um, muted. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's always the road team or whoever they're playing. But um, I mean, in general, he's still possibly the greatest player of all time. Mitch, I know you've talked about him being better than Michael Jordan. So the fact that he's better than Michael Jordan, but not better than Paul George is pretty absurd to me. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I've said this before. This is, this is why I didn't have LeBron James on. If I was going to choose a team right now to win me my life, I'm not having LeBron James on it. Cause I wouldn't want wizards version of Michael Jordan on my team. But he's well, I wouldn't wizard, want Paul he, George either. Well, no, I don't have him either. Was, was, <laughs> Was Wizards version of Michael Jordan putting up 25, 5, and 7? No, but I don't Michael, think he was. But no, but that was also a different NBA. And that's because guys weren't there was only one guy on a team throwing up a 28 game. That's a different that's a different conversation for a different time. My point still being this that these guys, he's a late 30s guy, and I'd rather ha- I would rather we're not doing the would you rather game right now, but I think still it's I would Paul George is still the number one guy in my mind. But my, it, for the if we're talking right now and right now NBA. Paul George is the number one small forward for me. And that's fine. That's it's, it's well, an fair. That's fair. Right. But in, in the defensive, I mean, the, the defensive gap is huge. So I think that's maybe where Paul George makes up ground, but I think LeBron is, is still the most proven undoubtable player in maybe NBA history, other than Michael Jordan. Like he just wins period. So I think he has to be number one. And I think one thing that he's done that I've been really impressed by is his ability to change his game with age. And now he's shooting more threes than so ever. Good. He's attempting like eight and a half a game and he's maintaining efficiency. And, you know, he's not, he's trying to preserve his body and clearly that might not be working, but the fact that he like recognizes that that's a thing he needs to do is really impressive and still putting up numbers. So I think he's the most maybe cerebral player we have in the league. Um, you know, athletic freak for years. That's clearly tr- trimming down now that he's aging, but he's still number one for me. Um, so I got LeBron. Mitch, you're not one of those people, but I always find it intriguing when people are like, well, it was a different game in the 90s. LeBron couldn't have played back then. Like, you're telling me that a guy who's 6'8", 260 pounds wouldn't be able to play a more physical game of basketball? He'd bully people. No, no, I think LeBron James would do great in the 90s. I'm just saying the how the league was playing when Michael Jordan was – like, I'm saying when Michael Jordan was nine, like in his late, later years with the Wizards, I'm saying – that league was different due to the fact that like LeBron Michael wasn't like their number one guy, like on that. Right. No, agree. No, that that's mostly what I was. I wasn't saying LeBron couldn't play in the nineties. I think LeBron could have played in every era. I'm not saying you, I'm not saying those people. I was just, I was just, I was just making that, that observation. But also the the other thing that, that I had covered on the pod last week uh, with Carl was um, it's just so funny to me how the older LeBron James gets, just feel like the more he's expected to do. And like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's so weird. Ideally, he shouldn't be the number one option on this Lakers team right, right now. It should be Anthony Davis. Like Anthony Davis is an all NBA player who's in the prime of his career. He should be able to be touching the ball the most on any given night. And he shouldn't have any issues with that. Instead, LeBron James is having to take 35 footers to beat the Pacers. 
and right. it's insane. I don't get it. He's he's like 38 years old. Why are we having him do so much stuff with Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook? Ideally, you're like, hey, maybe we'll give the ball to Russell Westbrook a little bit more. But that's an issue because he's not very good. So, you know, there's a little bit of a conundrum. There's a little bit of a conundrum there. I I I I heard this comment. He is the worst. He is the worst best. I mean, worst quote unquote good player. When it comes like to the last three minutes of the of a game, I would not want Russell Westbrook touching the ball and like the last three minutes of a game. Um, yeah, because so he'll dribble it off his knee and turn it over. <laughs> I'm I'm totally agree with you on that, but no, infuriating. I, right, totally agree. But this these lists are just honestly just to get conversation going, honestly. And I I agree, LeBron James, LeBron James to me is still the greatest player of all time. But right now he is on the downward spot. I mean, on the downturn of his career. And I'm not saying I expect more from him. It's just the fact that, you know, I, I've i seen what he has done and I compare it to what he's doing now and compare it to what the guys are in the, in the league are also doing. And I think there are, Paul George this year currently is having a better year than LeBron James. But that's just for me. And then I'm sure there will be 90% of the world who thinks LeBron James is better, and that's fine. If not more percentage, I think it'll probably be 95, but it's whatever. For every zig, there's a zag. So thank you for zagging, Mitch. Absolutely. Hey, you think, Hey, and thank you for your number 10. We appreciate that. All right. You... It wouldn't have been fun if we all had the same number one. Dylan Brooks receives no slander, just like Chris Middleton on this podcast. You're right. Well, well, we'd like to thank Andrew Carlson for joining us today for this episode. Uh, Andrew, tell the people where they can find you. And so that way they can get a hold of your guy, your content outside of this. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew underscore Carlson two. You can find me on CanisHoopus.com, the SB Nation affiliate for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Spreaker, you can find game blouses uh, every single week. Should upload early in the week on Monday. Give it a listen. Yeah, listen to them on Monday and you can listen to the Hoopers Almanac on Tuesday. Andrew, we appreciate you coming on, my man. We thank you so much. We will be right back with Aaron and I's favorite segment, Cereal and Brews. With some cereal not available to us, we just decided to go with some brews instead. Uh, we are back with some cereal and brews for me and Aaron Carter. Uh, it's been a crazy week, but we've got a fun week ahead of us as we are heading into the, we're just starting December, but Aaron, how are we doing, my man? I'm doing good. Uh, Thanksgiving was good to both of us, I think. Um, ate too much food, stepped on the scale, um, blinked my eyes a couple times, and then opened them again. So uh, definitely that time of year, but we're, we're, we're back and better than ever. I, I definitely fell asleep uh, on that scale from all the turkey I had, so I don't know what you're talking about. I never, I never blinked. I, I, I closed my eyes and fell asleep on that, on that scale. Right. Um, well, Aaron, you, uh, we, I had brought it up earlier in the earlier when we in the earlier episodes of this podcast, you know, I had saw a movie called Dune, um, and I was really excited about it. But rumor has it, you've seen it now. A little birdie has told you correct. Um, it, I saw it last night with my girlfriend Madison, who's, you know. Uh, she's been referenced on this podcast. Wonderful, wonderful lady. Uh, she she designed our beautiful logo. Um, beautiful so logo. She's always my movie going partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as we we traditionally have a go on Tuesdays because um, uh-huh. they're like half price or whatever. Right. But sometimes Tuesdays are tough, so we ended up going on Friday, spending twenty eight dollars on tickets and twenty dollars on food and drinks. But whatever, that's fine. Um, but Dune was fantastic. Um, I think. 
you know, you texted me about it a while ago. You said, I believe, beautiful movie. Um, you know, one of the more beautiful movies I've seen. Story is good, but not great. Is that sort of your impression of it? So I en- I enjoyed, it is by far one of the prettiest movies I've ever seen. Cinematography-wise, it was incredible. Loved it. Uh, story, I rewatched it. I, so I've now seen it twice since it's on HBO uh, okay. Max. Uh, I liked the story a lot. Uh, more the second time through because I could actually understand what they were saying because I had subtitles on. That's um, the that's my biggest thing that I was gonna get to. It's like right. I I loved it, but holy shit! Like they're whispering half the time, and then they're mm-hmm. using words I can't understand. And it's like, all right, I need to watch it with subtitles. That's literally the whole thing I was saying on the walk back from the theater. I was like, I loved it, but I need to watch that again with subtitles to actually understand what's going on because. We were like trying to, it felt like our friend Logan Ball after he watched the Marvel um, <laughs> Infinity War, where he's calling like um, the, uh, what's Idris Alba's character and uh, he's calling him like Jay Crowder or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's totally how we were describing these different characters. Like I'm not really sure what their names are outside of Paul and I don't know any of the tribes or like what planet, like right. it's just hard to understand the whole universe when you can't really understand them. <laughs> Well, yeah, and we, me and you have never seen the original Dune movie, so we had we had no idea what we were going getting ourselves into. So, right. I, yeah, the rewatch of it on HBO Max is worth it. It is worth the time and effort. Um, but it, just to get that storyline, yeah, I really loved that movie. Uh, Timothy Chalamet really just proved himself as a great actor. Like mm-hmm. we both said earlier, I think it was our Halloween podcast. We mm-hmm. talked about how much we loved him in Little Women. Um, but and even though how scrawny of a man that might that he might be. <laughs> um but no i i loved that movie that cast in it is incredible and i can only wait for part two to come out even it was an incredibly bold move to have that oh my god uh, while it's in it's like first two weeks in theaters they're like yeah we're gonna make a part two now screw it well literally it says like dune part one as you're entering the like the entering the movie mm-hmm. and it's like all right hold on i didn't see the damn movie yet but I think it's based <laughs> off the books because there are what like a couple books on this. Well, yeah, and so that was what the issue was with the first movie. They tried to fit like the original one they did back in like the eighties and nineties. They tried to fit like a bunch of books into one movie, mm. and they missed some very key things. Um, this is all coming from people I know who've seen them. I haven't seen the original, but yeah. who have read the books and seen it. Um, my uncle Eric, uh, listener of the podcast, he uh, he had told me he uh, just had watched the original movie and then compared it to this one. He said they did an incredible job just like showing the actual like scene that is, um, of course, now I'm forgetting the name of the planet that they all go to. Um, Arrakis. Arrakis. Thank you, sir. Yeah, when they go to Arrakis, they did a, a much better job of, of like showing off what they actually do there. Um, and so I I liked the movie a lot and I cannot wait for part two because my girl Zendaya is in it and boy. Well, yeah, I mean, every now Madison, so obviously she is an uber talented designer and she has mm-hmm. her own design account, which I'll shout out um, Madison Dare Design on Instagram. She's been doing these little doodles. She had a week of Florence Pugh who's an actress mm-hmm. um, who's in Black Widow and a variety of other things, Little Women as well. Yeah. And now she's moved on to Zendaya. So ah. she's right there with you in terms of her love for Zendaya. <laughs> Bring it on. I loved her in uh, Malcolm and Marie and then also the Netflix movie and then also her and Greatest Showman was great. If you've never seen the show Euphoria on HBO Max, mm. it is very tough to watch, but boy, is it just so good. Like tough to watch because it's just like a tough, talks about like a tough subject when it comes like to, you know, a, addiction and everything like that. But it's such a very good show. Um, but I, I love Zendaya. 
she's my bae um <laughs> very much my celebrity crush um so i am all in on that movie uh, i'm glad that you liked it though yeah no it was great i definitely be watching it again with subtitles maybe tonight who knows after Ooh. iowa hawkeye football win absolutely well yeah so we're like like we said earlier on when we started the podcast we're recording this on sat saturday december 4th um it's big big championship college football day going on we got uh baylor playing oklahoma state right now and baylor is just whooping up i say this now with like 44 seconds left in the first half it's 21 6 um so lord knows that it could all change whenever this podcast does come out um we got Iowa, Michigan. We got Georgia, Alabama. Great college football games going on. But we're not we're not talking about college football, Aaron. We got we got bigger games on the horizon mm-hmm. that we're doing. We're going to see games in person this week, and it's about the games that refer to this podcast. Aaron, you're going to see an NBA game this week. I am. Uh, Chicago Bulls at home against the Denver Nuggets. Um, man, I am looking forward to that so much. Going with uh, a few of our friends from. Uh, columbia as well as uh, rob who i met here in chicago um and roomed with him it was he he's been on this podcast the bettings are if you remember him yeah. um so we're seeing that 15 dollars tickets nate hooked us up he's got um since he's a student at DePaul, he gets discounts so oh my dollars for an nba game is absolutely insane wow especially of this caliber um so looking forward to seeing Jokic live only seen him once and that was with you Mm-hmm. in denver against the pelicans um a disappointing game anthony davis uh, decided to have a 35 10 night oh that's great yeah and boogie was on the pelicans then but was hurt yep um and the oh god that was the least inspired basketball i've ever seen <laughs> it was just like they didn't care the whole game so disappointing right. but looking forward to this one because the bulls have been so exciting and obviously Jokic is maybe the best player in the nba so Looking forward to seeing that. Um, and you're going to another game, Mitch, uh, the Indiana Pacers heading over to enemy territory um, as it pertains to opposing teams. Um, you know, I saw LeBron getting jawed at by a few fans, said some questionable comments. Um, how are you feeling about walking into that Lions den? I'll be sitting up very high and not having to do with <laughs> anything that's on the court. Um Aaron, it's your least favorite team right now at the Indiana Pacers. And I understand that, but honestly, it's a game that it's, they're going against the Mavericks. I get to finally see Luca. Uh, So my brother and I are going, uh, Evan, who was just on our last episode. uh, We're going to go see that game uh, on Friday. Um, I get off work. I'm going to get off work, uh, have a half day. Um, And so I'm leaving after lunch and we're going to drive to Indianapolis uh, from St. Louis. It's only a four hour drive. And then, and then we will drive straight back right after the game. So I will, I will be having a animals 22 hour day that day. It'll be a great day. And so I, uh, I'm excited. I have, we, uh, I'm hoping for no injuries, um, before the game, because the last game I went to my favorite player, Jason Tatum was announced that he was going to be sick, uh, 10 minutes before the game started. So if that happens again, things will be thrown. That's when I become that angry fan and I start throwing things on the court and we don't want that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yes. we do. I mean, that's just the, the Russian roulette you play with NBA games. And I think this was a comment by Kobe and Michael Jordan back in the day. It's like, if all these young fans get to see me once in their lives, I want to make sure I'm playing, which I really respect that. And I feel like that's sort of gone away in today's game. Uh, my worst nightmare is going to this game on Monday and Nikola Jokic not playing. So hopefully we both don't get shafted in the same year with that. Well, yeah, I really, if I could see Luca, oh my gosh, that'd be incredible. That, that as much as this Mavericks team and this Pacers team have just been so weird this year, I feel like the, this is just, it has a lot of talent on both sides. Sabonis, Brogdon, Turner on the Pacers, yet Luca, as much as you want to call Kristaps a 
a talent. I will call him that. Um, I love Tim Hardaway Jr. He's one of the yep. guys I wish the Celtics would have got because of how good of a, a, a scorer he is. Um, but yeah, I think this will be a lot of fun. Uh, we got we got great times to talk about when we uh, come back together uh, next weekend. So I'm excited, my man. Yeah, me too, man. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, listen, guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate it. Um, if you uh, haven't yet, please turn on your notifications for us. Follow us on uh, Spotify. You can hit that bell in the top right corner and turn on the notifications for us. So that way, you know, whenever a new episode is coming out, um, I'm, I'm sorry that we didn't have one come out this past week. Like we said, we were just taking off because of the Thanksgiving holiday. So we were, uh, I know there were some people who had reached out to me and said that they were just really surprised they didn't have one. I'm like, well, clearly you didn't listen to the end of the last episode. So suck it. And then um, if you haven't, if you haven't yet, follow us on Twitter, we're at hoopers.almanac. Uh, on on twitter and then if you want to also reach out to us uh you can reach out to us uh just dm us there or you can reach out to us through email um we're uh hoopers all hoopers.almanac at gmail.com we'd love just to hear from you if you have any thoughts or um any admiration towards us we always appreciate that um, but yeah uh we thank you again for listening to this episode and we hope you guys have a great week and uh go go Celtics.